Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And Phil apparently has not seen his shadow today. Good Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us. Brooke Grimsley, Danny Mack, Randy Carricker at 701 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day, everybody. Happy Groundhog Day to you guys. And to everybody who celebrates. An early spring apparently awaits us, Randy. That's a good thing, is it not? It is. I mean, it already feels like it outside. Did you guys go outside yesterday? It was nice I and was, warm. I went and hit golf balls yesterday. Oh. Where'd you go? Family Golf and Learning uh, Center? I went down uh, down by Creefcourt Park, went okay. over there. I did not make my way over to Family Golf and Learning Center, which is a great facility to hit golf balls in the St. Louis metro area. You know, it Brooke is. is learning how to play golf over mm-hmm. there. You should have gone and tried to learn, too, Randy. That's a shot at you. I know. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> hey, we got a fun show coming up. For, uh, so, happy Friday. Everybody excited about Friday? Yes. TGIF. And I Where? came in today, Randy. Huh? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. The Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Fairy blessed me once again. Yesterday, as I was preparing to depart Hubbard Radio here in Creve Coeur, so I made it a point to get to CVS this morning so that Brooke has Reese's for the weekend. You're a good person. a big one, too. It's king size. Oh, yeah. See, that'll take you for the whole weekend, maybe. Uh, well, I also had Reese's the other day, Randy, and I ate this entire one in one oh, sitting. okay. Maybe I should have got more She's trying size. to get ready for a wedding, man. It's <laughs> June. Come on. Just run it off. <laughs> exactly. So here's what we got coming up on the show. Jay Delsing is going to join us at the bottom of this hour. We're going to talk to Joe Vitale, as we do every Friday uh, at 8.15. And then new Cardinal reliever, not the newest Cardinal reliever anymore, Andrew Kittredge will join us at 9.30. He's not the newest Cardinal reliever anymore because the Cardinals... Last night, signed Keenan Middleton to a one-year deal pending a physical. He is 30 years old. He struck out 17 and 14 and a third with a 1.88 ERA down the stretch for the Yankees. And now you have Middleton. You've acquired Nick Robertson and Riley O'Brien. Nick Robertson from from Boston. Riley O'Brien from Seattle. Ryan Fernandez from Boston. And now with Kittredge and uh, Kenyon Middleton. Now you've got, uh, or Keenan Middleton, excuse me, uh, you've got, the parts, in addition to what you brought back from last year, of a pretty hard-throwing, strikeout-capable bullpen. I really like this pickup. What do you think, Dan? Well, they needed swing and miss. And if they get swing and miss, then it's a good pickup. Kittredge with Tampa Bay was awesome Mm -hmm. at times, Mm -hmm. so that helps out. And uh, I would say, presumably, that this maybe settles what they have in their bullpen. I I don't see them going out and getting anybody else, and it's it's a low-cost addition to the team, and I think that's what they were looking for. So it makes sense because they needed swing and miss in their bullpen. They don't have a lot of swing and miss in their rotation, so this makes sense. It's 
a good move for a hard thrower. Uh, apparently, there were three people that they were interested in. Ryan Brazier, who was with the Dodgers down the stretch last year and was really, really good. And then Phil Maton from Houston, whom we've talked about a lot. And Middleton and with these additions and with the guys that they got in the trades last year, the, the young pitchers that they had and the young pitchers that they have on hand. I know there's people in the Cardinal organization that think that ultimately Tink Hentz profiles as a reliever, Graceffo may profile as a reliever, and at the very least you can bring those guys up during the season to pitch out of the bullpen. So there are options for the Cardinals if things fall apart in the bullpen or if you have to have the bullpen throw eight innings one day and you need a couple of guys to bring up you'll be able to do that you got Ryan Helsley you got Gallegos you got Romero you got Kittredge you got Zach Thompson Palante Fernandez King I, there's a lot of guys that yeah. they options that they have I like it a lot I think this is a great pickup by the Cardinals and it's funny because Greg actually mentioned yesterday mm-hmm. about possibly him being an option and I agree with you Dan I think that this is likely the last piece of the puzzle for the bullpen yeah makes sense and it's cost effective which they didn't have it looked like from the outside looking in they weren't going to pay a ton Mm -hmm. and this is not going to break the bank in any terms and the division changed again last night because baltimore acquired corbin burns from milwaukee the former cy young award winner goes to the orioles in exchange for infielder joey ortiz lefty dl hall that's probably not a great name for a pitcher dl uh and the 34th pick in the uh, 2024 draft burns with 200 strikeouts last year uh but he is going to become a free agent there was talk about baltimore being in the hunt for Dylan Cease of the White Sox. Obviously, that will not be the case now. Burns to Baltimore significantly upgrades their rotation and puts them in the hunt again for another AL East title. But he also diminishes this division with his departure from Milwaukee. That was my first reaction is, wow, things look a lot better for the Cardinals in the NL Central. Isn't that your first reaction as well? And I was surprised by the deal because one, we know that Baltimore, you're having this change in ownership. That's mm-hmm. all it took to really get things moving for them. And this was honestly a fleece job by the Orioles, yeah, I feel it, like. It, especially if they can keep uh, Corbin Burns around. Now, Ortiz, the shortstop they gave up, apparently is a defensive wizard. And Willie Adamas is also headed into his last year before free agency. So it looks like Milwaukee is kind of rebuilding. Uh, the, the top of their rotation now is Peralta and Wade Miley. So my Colin question, Ray, yeah, Aaron Ashby. Yeah. So And, and they still have Devin Williams in the bullpen. They, they've got a lot of nice parts. But why did they tr- sign Reese Hoskins if they were going to get rid of their one front of the rotation guy? I, I just look at it that they felt that Corbin Burns was going to make so much money. He was going to be out of their stratosphere and he's going to be in another stratosphere and it doesn't mean it's a complete rebuild but to me this is the high leverage part of it you get a year if you're baltimore before he hits free agency brooke mentioned new ownership from the baltimore perspective it makes sense because they have said new ownership wise they're going to spend money and Mm -hmm. they could i think the next thing is now they lock up players Does Jackson Holiday get locked up? They can lock up their catcher. You mentioned, Randy, they have a shortstop coming that they traded to Milwaukee. They already have a shortstop that's really good. So now I would think the next thing for Baltimore to stay competitive in the American League East is to lock up these young players. And they can do that for the long term. They'll be able to build that team. They can be kind of like Atlanta. And and ultimately, Jackson Holiday is going to be the centerpiece. He's the number one prospect in baseball. Or is it going to be Adley Rutschman, who was the best prospect in baseball? Or is it going to be Gunnar Henderson, who was the best, best prospect in baseball? 
Mike Elias, who was here under uh, the the Cardinals' leadership currently, and then he went to Houston with Jeff Luno, and then was hired as the general manager of the the Orioles. He's done an amazing job and reasonably quickly turning that into a monster. They really are. For the Orioles to get this new ownership and then you have things moving like this and you have all the prospects that we were talking about, Jackson Holiday. everybody's excited to see what he will be able to do in the future. They really have a lot of good things working for them. But going yeah. back to the NL Central guys, who is now the best starting pitcher in the NL Central? Oh, that's a great question. Justin Steele, maybe? What about Sonny Gray? I was going to say, Sonny, Sonny Gray. Gray. Really, yeah, he, he's really good. Both of them finishing second in Cy Young, right? So yep. mm-hmm. uh, I, I would think that uh, right right there at the top, the, the best pitcher in the division in last year, I think you could have made the argument that at the beginning of the season, Milwaukee had the two best. Uh, he doesn't reside in Milwaukee anymore. Corbin Burns is going to make a ton of money. Yeah, he I, is. I just think that, you know, when you look at this and you say, well, they're not competing, I still think they compete. Uh, you know, when you look at the projections of the National League Central, it's not very good. And the, the winner is like around 85.5 wins. Fangraphs is pretty good at what they do. The mm-hmm. other thing is that even minus Corbin Burns, they are still a top 15 in projections in baseball. So hmm. you take out his 3.8 war, they still have guys that have been really good that don't get enough credit because they're overshadowed by Woodruff and Burns. So I, I say don't count out the uh, Milwaukee Brewers as just being a doormat. I just think it's they've taken a serious hit with the trade of Corbin Burns, and it just tells you they had no chance of signing him. They go out mm-hmm. and get Reese Hoskins to stay competitive, but rotation-wise, they're, they're not as bad as you think. It should be... A really interesting year now in the NL Central. And not that it wasn't going to be interesting anyway, but uh, this kind of changes things. The NHL All-Star Game is tomorrow, tonight, the skills competition. Uh, That'll be fun. Hope you get an opportunity to check out all of the activities and action at the NHL All-Star Game in Toronto. Are you going to watch? On TNT. Uh, Brooke just told me there was something last night and I missed out on it. They they did. So last night they had their drafting of the players for the different teams, which I thought that they already had assembled the team. So I was a little bit confused by that. It it was fine. I just kind of wish sometimes for TV's sake that they would kind of get it going a little bit quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I still think that Robert Thomas needs to be in something. Yes. Because he's a hometown guy. And you bring him back to Toronto, and I don't care if he loses. Put him in the fastest skater competition and loses, and he finishes last. I don't care. It's a hometown guy, mm-hmm. and he should be part of the All-Star game in some form or fashion. The passing challenge just made so much sense for him. Right. And maybe the combination of his passing ability and the opening drive bump, maybe they didn't want him to win because they know that <laughs> if he goes to the All-Star game and they put him into the into the passing challenge, they know he's going to win, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just a matter of them understanding that they don't want him to win. Conspiracy is right. I believe it. I believe it, Randy. I'm I'm bought in on that one. Uh, You've got a lot of hoops this weekend at Mizzou trying to win a game in the SEC. They're 0-8 so far in the SEC, and they're going to take on Vanderbilt. Uh, SLU will host Fordham, the Rams, uh, and then the the Fighting Illini take on Nebraska. For SLU, got to get a win somewhere. Ten games left. This has got to be one of the wins at home but still you know Ken Palm had them at 12 wins he's about right but yeah. they're gonna have to get on it a little bit with 10 to go to get there and Mizzou could go winless in the SEC you could have SLU in Mizzou with one conference win for the entire season I didn't see that coming I thought I both would not. be down but I didn't realize they'd be this, this down is really bad that is really really bad Oof. 
Hey, we want your mic drops throughout the course of the show. What do you think now? The Cardinal bullpen is complete. Dan laid it out for you. Are you reasonably satisfied with the Cardinal bullpen, or what else would you have liked to have seen specific specific to the Cardinal bullpen? Just use your 101 ESPN app, and you can leave us a mic drop, and we'll take uh, texts throughout the course of the show as well. What do you think of that? And coming up here on 101 ESPN, the NCAA is trying to make rules to handle NIL. A little bit too little too late. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It is the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN with Brooke and Dan. I'm Randy and The NCAA is defending their perceived need for tighter regulations for name image likeness after the lawsuit that was filed by Tennessee against the NCAA. It was a federal antitrust lawsuit filed by the attorney generals from Tennessee and Virginia that challenges the legality of the NCAA's guidelines. And the NCAA responded and said that, no, we are trying to tighten things up. We are in charge here. It's kind of like the guy when... uh, when uh, President Reagan was shot, and uh, he said uh, it was the chief of staff. I forgot his name now. Somebody will text in. Uh, the text line is open, by the way, 314-399-9646, yo ho Al Hag. Al Hag was the guy. There you go. You just and, needed a yo-ho to get it yeah, out of here. Yeah, got it out. So, uh, yeah, the president gets shot, and it's the chief of staff that walks up to the podium and says, I'm in charge here. So the NCAA basically trying to be Al Hag and say, we're in charge here. No, you aren't. There's a lot of other people that are in charge ahead of you. And the NCAA just really doesn't appear to have a clue as to what they're involved with. They didn't have a clue when they were trying to fight the Edo ban. They weren't. Well, okay, they were trying to fight the Edo ban in case, but they were being idiots. Uh, And they don't have a clue now. They don't. Schools want the best players. Mm -hmm. And the best players to do that now is NIL. But the NCAA has let the genie out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. So how do you get it back in? You can't. No. It ain't going to happen. Toothpaste out of the tube, horse out of the barn, genie out of the bottle, whatever you want to call it. Whatever Whatever analogy. Well, I love that uh, your comparison to President Reagan (laughs) being shot to NIL was something else. Well, here's the thing. They're they're trying to claim they're in charge, but they're, they're like miles away from being in charge. We still have to get to the vice president and the speaker of the house and all of this stuff. Gee, I don't think there's anything in the Constitution that allows for the chief of staff to become president. I it's think like that, that the one show with Kiefer Sutherland, um, uh, where the the it was a really good show by the way. It got canceled. Din, oh, din, it was where din. the the oh, capital the blew up. Designated survivor. Oh, what? no, you're thinking of 24, which was awesome. That was that was but another. Desi- so that's that's what Al Haig would have been designated survivor. So. I, I didn't think of it in those terms, but, yeah, but that's uh, what the certainly makes a little there. sense. Thank you, Dan. The no problem. I'm trying to play along here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jay Billis was talking yesterday about this, and uh, his and Jay Billis is so thoughtful, and he's an mm-hmm. attorney, so he gets it. Here's what Jay Billis had to say about everything that's going on right now. What NIL is showing you, Mark, in my view, is that the schools do want to pay pay these players. Mm-hmm. They want access mm-hmm. to talent. Mm-hmm. You know, they know, hey, we want the best coaches, mm-hmm. but we have to have the best players too. And so they've set up these collectives, and they're essentially paying the players you know some of these collectives they're signing a player to a contract they'll tell the player okay you have to make uh, 10 appearances you got to work in a soup kitchen and go speak at this event and uh work in habitat for humanity that's how they're getting their money Mm -hmm. 
it's not they're doing commercials for mm -hmm. doc maybe some are for dr pepper and all that but the rank and file are getting it through their their school collective mm -hmm. and uh it's just a dumb way to do it it's not because good. the ncaa does not want to cross that rubicon mm -hmm. and make them into employees right that's where we're going to wind up and there's a current case called house versus the ncaa where the players the, the players just got class action certification and this is going to be for real money they're suing for uh, revenue that they've been closed out of all these years mm -hmm. and they're going to win whatever the money damages are in antitrust cases, they're tripled. Mm. So this could be a $4 billion loss for the NCAA. It's going to take a period of years for it to be decided and maybe appeals and all that. But this is a, a threat to the NCAA and it's just because of their mismanagement of, of how they've handled this over the la this last few decades. And this all happened, if you guys remember, because the NCAA refused to really just face reality and take a leadership role or a more proactive role at the beginning of this. NILs are just payrolls funded by fans and boosters. We have gotten to that point, and we're getting to the point with, I know with Tennessee, that this is just one of the bigger dominoes that is going to fall. Because if this works out with what he's saying, this could really spell the end for the NCAA, and we could see players' unions come to play. We could see mm -hmm. more of that coming to the forefront here. I feel like it's imminent. It. And Tennessee's not the only one. The NCAA currently right now, they're cracking down on Florida State. They're looking into Florida. They're looking into every single university. If you basically got a big prospect, they are looking into you right now because they are trying to get some sort of power back. And we understand that they are ineffective. We got a text asking to explain the Ed O'Bannon case, how we got here. So in a capsule form, let me tell you what happened. Ed O'Bannon was a basketball player at UCLA in the 90s. And one night he was in his dorm room playing a video game as UCLA, as himself. And he's thinking, hey, I'm not getting anything out of this. He was on the cover of the game, I believe, but he's playing as himself. And the NCAA is getting the money for his name image and likeness on this game. So he went to a lawyer, filed a lawsuit and said, I should be getting paid for this. The NCAA shouldn't be getting paid for this. Now, players had signed away their rights to name image likeness, but it was just part of the process when you signed a letter of intent. So he took it to court. NCAA lost. They appeal. They lose. They appeal. They lose. They wind up going to the Supreme Court. Incredible arrogance because Ed O'Bannon would have been willing to settle. And the NCAA could have paid him like a million and a half bucks or something like that. But they, the NCAA was very arrogant from a legal standpoint. They took it to the Supreme Court and lost. And that opened up Pandora's box because now every player, not just Ed O'Bannon, has the rights to sell their name, image, likeness to whomever they want. That used to not be the case, and now it is. And now the NCAA doesn't have control of that. They can't sell the games themselves anymore because the players have rights to that. And that's how we got here. That's the Ed O'Bannon case. You guys find it shocking that head coaches at prominent places now are looking to go be coordinators in the NFL. It's nope. It is a Pandora's box that is wide open. If you haven't seen number one, Jeff Halfley, the head coach of Boston College, left to become the defensive coordinator of the Packers. Now Chip Kelly apparently reportedly interested, and he's the head coach at UCLA, interested in becoming the defensive or the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. Man, that tells you a lot about what's going on. But one of Halfley's friends uh, said that. 
He just wants to coach football again. He doesn't want to be recruiting his own players. He doesn't want to be involved with NIL. He doesn't want to be involved with having to go to the transfer portal in addition to recruiting high school players. It's a mess, and that's why Halfley left. And then on top of that, the NCAA cracking down and trying to find some reason to be more relevant again. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening at this current moment. Now, localizing this, is Mizzou completely protected? Should they be worried? Because you have the high school aspect of this where Missouri worked ahead and they made sure that there was a little bit more of a competitive advantage when it came to NIL and recruiting within high school student athletes if they commit early. Is that something that protects Mizzou players from this and Mizzou University? I would think because of the laws it would. One of the things I'm sure Missouri has learned at Mizzou is even if there was the slightest infraction don't tell the truth. Don't cooperate <laughs> yes. with the NCAA. If they come after you for any NIL violation, say, no, nope, that's not the way it happened. We didn't do anything wrong. I think Missouri's ahead of the game mm-hmm. compared the to state. what, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. what the, you know, the state is doing and other states are going to have to look at doing this to keep players in state to go to your home school but be ahead of the NIL game. And that is because... In the state of Missouri, once a player signs a letter of intent, like the, the uh, Williams kid from Kansas City that signed the second best player in the country, signed to play at Mizzou, he can start getting NIL money, name, image, likeness money for commercials, things like that from boosters as a high school player. Once you sign the letter of intent, now you have to commit to playing at least one year for Mizzou or Missouri State or whomever it might be. But it was a brilliant move. It was the idea, the brainchild of Eli Drinkwitz, who went to Curtis Gregory, who is a former Mizzou player, now is in the Missouri legislature. It's a brilliant move because Minuari Williams, mm-hmm. he's going to clean up before he is done. And I, I assume he's at Mizzou now. But I would think that uh, for December and January, he was able to get a lot of NIL money. You could be a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. A freshman in high school and start with the NIL money. And so it starts with the roots of recruiting these kids early on. You get them, as you mentioned, at least one year. You get them in your program, and that's how you sell your program. You get them involved. You see what's happening. You like the coaching staff. And all of a sudden, you know what? You stay. Yeah. You like it. I I think it's brilliant. Yeah. It is. Well, and here's the bigger picture in question here. Can the NCAA rules and NIL coexist? I don't think so. No. And I think the NCAA, like Jay Billis said, they're going to lose that case, right? Four billion bucks. Four billion. They get, their contract with basketball is, I believe, seven billion. The NCAA, they don't get any money from football anymore. All of that money is going to the Power Five conferences. The, the, the college football playoff is completely separate from the NCAA. So the NCAA doesn't get money from football anymore. So they get the seven billion over, I think, 11 years from. CBS, TNT for the NCAA basketball tournament. and they TBS get a, is involved, yeah, too. right. And, and they get a nominal amount from the various and sundry non-revenue sports from ESPN. But it's, it's like $50 million, which for them is a drop in the bucket. So if the NCAA doesn't have any control over players and the money that they're making from their television rights is going to go to players because of this lawsuit. What is the NCAA after that? <laughs> is it still existing in 10 years? No, no, it can't. I agree. I don't think you can have it this way. And as Jay said, if it's $4 billion, boy, it couldn't happen to a greater pr- a group of people that have you know, basically taken advantage of the situation mm-hmm. for decades mm-hmm. and made billions of dollars off these kids. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes to is that – a kid should be able to make money. 
that's a, we live in a free enterprise society. And for these kids not to make money is ridiculous for the amount of money that they are raising for the various schools, the conferences, and ultimately NCAA. It's been outrageous, egregious, preposterous. I would agree. It has been. And there's also studies that show that when a school does well, sports-wise, that enrollment goes up. There's so many benefits yep. to it. If I'm not mistaken, and I may be wrong, it may have changed. But until I know last year, the highest application rate that the University of Missouri ever got was after the football team had been number one in 2007. That's correct. I was doing a football game at Mizzou the following year, Mm -hmm. and we had the president on of the school at halftime. And I said, what has happened to your enrollment? He said, we've got buildings going up that we never, ever thought, whether it be dorm rooms or the science lab, whatever it is. And he said, that's all based on what we've done in football because we've been on national TV so much because of the football program. And oh, by the way, hopefully somebody is thinking about the non-revenue sports. How do we take care of volleyball? How do we take care of gymnastics? How do we take care of baseball? Because those are sports that don't make money for schools or the NCAA. The the only money makers in college sports are football and men's basketball. So how do we take care of those young athletes, the golfers, that right now are benefiting from the NCAA, but if the NCAA isn't around, how do we take care of those young athletes? I talked to the head coach at Wake Forest, Mr. Haas, who's got Mm -hmm. uh, Belleville uh, roots, and obviously the Haas family is huge in uh, golf here in the Metro St. Louis area, and really for years, Bob Golby, all those people that have meant so much. The kids in golf are getting NIL. Mm. Even, even they are starting to get NIL. We see a few of the gymnastics, but not to the point right. that you're talking about, Randy, where you've got to make the last person on the golf team, you got, it's got to be sustainable for them yeah. too. Right. And I'm just talking about transportation, sure, mm-hmm. right? Uh, insurance, uh, equipment, mats, things like that. All of those things that go into mats for wrestling and for gymnastics, things like that, you, you have to finance it somehow, and it, it's not cheap. So at some point, somebody's going to have to come up with a plan for a better version of the NCAA. Well, and then what does this mean for mid-majors? Yeah, it's, it's a real problem. I mean, Linda would just cut 10 sports. Right. Mm-hmm. Linda would move just move to Division one and cut 10 sports. So where is it headed? I don't know. It's really uh, it's a mystery and it's a scary mystery, I'm sure, for people that have good young athletes that are headed to school in the next few years. Did you have a Seinfeld quote uh, that you threw on us there? Yes, I did. Did yeah. you like it? <laughs> yeah, I did. Outrageous, egregious, preposterous. Yes, that, that is preposterous. I, I caught it. OK, good. yeah. I caught the text line caught it, but I tried to just ignore it because yeah. then Jackie. all of a sudden we go down a rabbit hole with you. Yeah. And I know that there's other Seinfeld quotes coming. I'm out. And I, here we go. <laughs> and that's why I just move on. Just keep going. Because it keeps going and going. That's and going. right. Coming up, we've got our buddy Jay Delsing. Man, there's a lot going on in golf. And Jay is here to talk about it next time, 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with 
Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills. So celebrate summer with a new Big Green Egg, Weber gas, or charcoal grill, and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. the opening drive on 101 ESPN Brooke, Dan, and Randy and on Sunday from 8 to 10 you'll hear Dan with Jay Delsing, golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN and as he does every Friday morning, Jay joins us now Good morning sir, how you doing? I am doing great, guys. I was, the only thing that could make golf worse right now is if we had the NCAA come in and try to help us negotiate something. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got that right. So explain what has happened this week, the uh, $3 billion investment in the PGA Tour. Explain it to us as if we were six-year-olds. <laughs> this should be good for me because that's about all I know. <laughs> I have been reaching out to so many of my friends to try to get more details and for, for the most part, folks like me are pretty much left out in the dark. What's happened is is we, we all know that the Saudis are trying to buy golf. And for the most part, they are doing that. What the PGA Tour did in lieu of jumping straight into bed with the Saudis and using the Saudi money is they sought some private equity money. And so the PGA Tour signed an agreement this week with um, this group of, I think, eight billionaires – and and they've injected, I think three bill. The number I hear it's three billion dollars into the PGA Tour enterprises. It's a brand new for-profit um, arm of the PGA Tour, and basically left Yasser and the Saudis out. And so um, there's there's I have so many questions, guys. First of all, what are the terms of this money that we just we just took in? When do we have to pay it back, and at what rate? And it's $3 billion, and, what, you know, how long? How long is this? Uh, what, what does all that look like? Because I think that's all pretty significant. The other thing I'm wondering is they've done this evaluation of the PGA Tour, and what does that look like, and how did they evaluate it? And, we, you know, my friends and I have some retirement monies that are in there, and did, was that included as part of the evaluation? And is that – there's all these questions, guys. that basically don't have any of the answers. And all I know now is that – um, the, the live golf and these guys are pissed and they're, they've been left out of the party. They're saying the right things publicly, but I know that he's going, there's something's going to, going to happen. And I don't know if live is going to suddenly pay play for $25 million a week for $40 million a week. Uh, and they'll, they'll definitely start ramping up the, the efforts to steal more players. And that just means we're going to do what they did with John Ram. And they're just going to keep throwing $50 million onto the offers until the guys just finally cave. And, and I don't see how this is, I don't see how this is going to help. I, I, I just don't see it. 
Jay, you're right. There's just so many questions right now and just so many surprising and moving parts to this. Another surprising part, are you surprised that Jay Monahan, who has been the Tours Commissioner since 2017, will still be involved and will now also be the CEO of PGA Tour Enterprises? Well, he's kind of anointing himself as all that, Brooke. I mean, that's a great question because could you, could you imagine? I mean, I don't think the players and, and the organization could possibly muster up enough energy right now to, to oust him with all the things that are going on. There's, it's, it's, it sounds crazy, but it's almost like he's created such a mess that we can't get, and, and that doesn't make sense as the words come out of my mouth, but it's like we can't get rid of him because he's created such a mess. We need, we need him to, to help us kind of undo that, some of this stuff. Hey, Jay, how much do you think Tiger has a, a say right now in making sure that this happened? This group of billionaires bought a piece of the PGA Tour, which could amount to $3 billion. He's on the Players Board or the Players Advisory Council. But he, and, and I'm going to throw Rory in there, to make sure that those two uh, were a part of making sure that they didn't go to live and others are trying, they're trying to stop players from going to live. But those two in the role that they had. Oh, Tiger for sure, Danny. I mean, that was that was one of the reasons why Jay's still with us. I think is because he put, you know, the big cat on to the policy board for as long as he wants. There's, it's an undetermined term for Tiger Woods. So I mean, they're literally making up rules as they go along. And I, I mean, what Tiger cares about, guys, is Tiger doesn't care about this money. He's got a ton of money, but money is not a driving force for him. He cares about his legacy. And he cares about his records and all of his body of work are on the line right now. And this, the, 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 he's trying to save off the making all of these things that he's worked so hard for to, to kind of be extinct and, and not be relevant. And I mean, guys, how does Jack Nicholas not get something? How does Tom Watson not get something? How are they choosing 180 players to now suddenly get equity into something that all of these great champions before them helped build and they're going to leave them out. It just, it doesn't make any sense. What does Nick Dunlop get? He's been, he's been a member of this organization for one week, but he won a tournament, you know, so they're going to have, I I mean, there's so many moving parts and so many questions. Um, I've talked to, I don't know, five players that most, mostly my age, a couple of current players and they still have no idea the answer to some of these questions. So this thing is still moving. I, I expect, you know, something to come out of live there lives first tournament starts today down in Mexico. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see. All right, Jay, let's talk a little golf. The Pebble Beach Pro-Am is this week. I'm going to give you the opportunity as a pro to play with one of four NFL quarterbacks in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. You get the choice of Brady, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, or Steve Young. Who are you picking? Well, if I want to win the tournament, I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers because I've seen Aaron play, and Aaron can absolutely ball out. He's a he's a really good player. I don't think he'd be my my choice as a as a human. He seems uh, <laughs> kind of out there and and super strange. But um, you know, I've had the opportunity to play up there a lot of times, and guys, you cannot believe how big these NFL players. Are. The first time I met Dan Marino, I was just a rookie on the PGA Tour. He's a massive guy, and when you watched him play, and every once in a while he'd. He'd stroll outside of the of the pocket and just get his butt 
thrown around the football field. And I looked at him, and here's a 240-pound guy that's six foot three and just full of muscle and could barely stand up out there amongst those players. So it, it, it's really awesome to, to, to just be able to, to watch them play. And then they're definitely uh, brought down on a more human level when they take a swing. I remember as a kid, I, I was a huge Dr. J fan, and I got to meet him, so I was kind of secretly stalking him. <laughs> you know, I was watching him walk around the range and stuff. And poor Dr. J back in the day couldn't hit a golf ball out of my living room. He just could not fit. You know, this is a stud athlete. His, his, his arms were too long. His clubs were probably not right for him, and he just couldn't figure out the swing. So um, I, I would say Aaron Rodgers would be my choice to, um, um, to, to win the thing. But I think probably the most interesting and who I'd like to spend the most time with would be TB12 because he, he's got something mentally that I want. He, yeah. he 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 knows he he knows how to, how to how to manage his mind, man. He he really does. And I also wanted to ask you about Del Monte Golf Course out there on the grounds at Pebble Beach. Have you ever played that? They're claiming to be the oldest course west of the Mississippi. I thought we had the oldest course west of the Mississippi here. Uh, they, they say that that one started up in eighteen ninety seven. But what do you know about Del Monte? Yeah, uh, it, it's 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 old. It, it's <laughs> old. It's got, it's got it's it's kind of fun. It's it's. Uh, more old school. What I mean by that is that you know you walk off a green and the tee is the next tee is literally you know 15 feet from the green. It's it's um it's not long as you'd imagine, mm-hmm. but it's in that storied area there at Pebble Beach where all the all the ground is so valuable. You know you get out there and it's a uh, it's it, it's not really relevant in today's game because it's so short. But it's it's a pretty cool place. I did not realize that that's older than Glen Echo, though. Uh, that uh, that's come what out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I was surprised too, and that's at uh, at golf dot com. There's a story about it, and I was surprised by that too. Jay, there's uh, 55 mile an hour winds the other day at Pebble Beach. Uh, the weather is supposed to be nasty this weekend. What do you think that's going to do to the tournament? <laughs> I played there one time. It's insane. Mostly, if if it blows that hard, they'll probably have to stop because the balls literally won't stay on the on the greens. But I have hit um, on the the just to save you some of the dumb stories that I usually bring on the show. The the seventh hole is 98 yards and it plays about five yards downhill, and it's the shortest par three you'll play all year long. And I hit a seven iron there one year and straight into the wind. And I, I, you know, you're sitting there trying to make this decision. My seven iron typically goes about 170, 175 yards. And you're looking down at this thing with no wind. You can literally guys have thrown the ball on the green. You can literally throw it that far and you'd wind up hitting a seven iron. And, uh, Wow. It's pretty intimidating because all you're seeing is a Pacific Ocean, you know, and uh, it's, 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 it's super, super fun. What do you guys have on the show on Sunday? We've got Matt Minder, who is the who runs the Amateur Players Tour. And for all the golfers out there, these guys run 800 tournaments, over 800 tournaments around the country. They've got over 20 in St. Louis this year, and uh, they run it just like a PGA Tour event. It's really cool. We've got Dr. Rick Lehman, who's absolutely fantastic. And we start talking about, you know, what the modern player is doing to their body with all the speed and power they're using. And then we have Kurt Rowey from the Metropolitan Amateur Golf Association who just does a great job, you know, running events and keeping golf uh, uh, up and going in our area. Sounds great. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Jay, have a great weekend. Great show. You guys too. Thank you. That's the great Jay Delsing joining us here on 101 ESPN. By the way, good luck to uh, our friends uh, Jim Cavanaugh playing in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and Ron Krasuski from uh, Stiefel is also playing this week out at out there. I hope the 55-mile-an-hour winds are not 
part of their game this week. Seven iron for a pro, 98-yard hole. That would be pretty tough. Yeah, with a five iron. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN, we need you to get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 314 399 9646. 314 399. Yo ho. Yo ho. We've got Tioli next on 101 ESPN. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646. And give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. We do welcome your text, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO. All right, kids, next week, the Super Bowl, as you know, is in Vegas. Take it or leave it. It'd be worth it to go to Vegas and not even party and just watch people next week at the Super Bowl. I feel like Vegas in general is great people watching. I haven't been in a long time, mm-hmm. like a really, really long time, but I assume it's great people watching. And next week, it will be bananas. How was uh, Radio Row? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, Radio Row was fine. I had no problem with that. It was good. It's, a lot of selling products, but still right. getting big names on yeah. your show. Yeah, and it was it was good ratings, and it was it was fun. And you got to it was kind of like a convention for sports radio people too. You know, we all got to all nationally run across each other and say hi and catch up and stuff so it was like, like a Star Trek convention. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek. That's yeah. a good. One. I'm gonna have you, to take have it. you ever had a girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to take it. Did you see anything interesting? Did you go out on the strip a little bit? Of course, a lot of work happening. But did you have a little bit of fun when well, you were out there? Well, we've never done one in Vegas. This is the first one in Vegas. Oh, but yeah. Just, uh, yeah, when you go to Super Bowls, though. Yeah, you always. There's so many parties. Yes. And it's always good to to people watch at the parties too yeah it's pretty cool what do you think that you would see in vegas oh you'll see a lot did oh. you run into stan Kroenke or kevin demoff at any party i never did michelle did michelle uh i think it was right after they had left she ran into Kroenke at a, it was like a bar stool party and so she sends me these photos at three in the morning i wake up and there's photos of her <laughs> and her uh, the, the person she worked with at ESPN and she's just eviscerating Stan Kroenke and he's saying, I had to move, it was a business move. And she said, no, you didn't. And she's got every fact, bing, 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 bing. It was great. <laughs> and she, she had a little liquid courage going. Uh, so I, I never got a chance to see those people at a Super Bowl and I'm glad I didn't. No. But here's here's Kroenke sitting at a party with uh, Demoff, Jared Goff, and somebody else. I couldn't imagine yeah. Stan Kroenke at a party. Yeah, kind of weird. It'd be a major buzzkill. Take it or leave it. I was talking about this earlier. They have to find a way to make the NHL All-Star Week and Weekend weekend a little bit more interesting. Oh, take it. Glowing puck. Glowing puck. That's you how you do back, it. You huh? Uh-huh. For the All-Star Weekend, at least. Fox used that in the late 90s, so they were trying to get in casual fans so they could find the puck. I liked it. I did, too. I think you just have to do something. And meanwhile, I don't know if you guys caught a little bit of the NFL Pro games and their weekend that they have going on. They had dodgeball last night. See, that's what the NHL needs. They need dodgeball on ice. <laughs> oh, I'd watch that. <laughs> Me too. Everybody would, wouldn't they? Yeah. Are you guys going to watch anything with the NHL All-Star festivities? I'll watch a little bit of the game to see Bobby Tommy. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, I just thought it would be a little bit more exciting. You have Justin Bieber there, Michael Bieber. Buble, mm-hmm. Tate McRae. 
mm-hmm. and Will Arnett. This has got to be the, the slowest time in sports. Yet. It, no. Yeah, this is. I was, that was going to be my take it or leave it. This is just like the night after the baseball All Star game. Oof. Yeah. All right. Take it or leave it. Here we go. The NCAA handed down a five-year suspension as part of a 15-year show cause order against former Alabama baseball coach Brad Bohannon, effectively banning him from college coaching after he provided info to a gambler who used it to make illegal wagers against his own team. If you're going to bet as a coach, don't bet against your own team. I'll take that. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to take that. (laughs) If you're going to bet, period, as a coach, don't do it. No. Stay away from it. You're going to make some decisions against your own team. Don't hit sand. That's stupidity at its greatest level. It is really stupid. (laughs) It's crazy. Amazing. Bradford Bruns is in for Matthew Rocchio on the text line. Bradford, what do you got for us? Good morning, gang. From the 636, take it or leave it. Judging by the Burns trade, C should cost roughly Thompson, Segesi, and Chase Davis, right? (laughs) I wish. Could I take it just because I would love that? Sure. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, that uh, I, if that you, is the proposal, you'd, you'd make that deal. I'd do, I'd make that deal. Oh, 100 percent. I like the Middleton deal, so I'm I'm going to stay away. Yeah. I know you're looking for a starter in this case, and I'm not going to give up prospects because I think the rotation is going to be okay. The only thing that concerns me about that is the Cardinals are going to need a left-handed bat mm-hmm. down the road, and Davis apparently is going to be a really good left-handed bat. But you can mix and match with that. But you're going to have Donovan. You're going to have Nolan Gorman for a while. Mm-hmm. So you want another left-handed bat? I just I, I like him being on the way. Okay. And I guess if you if you give up Davis rather than Gorman, then I, I'm good with that. Now the other thing I need is the confidence level to be able to rehabilitate Dylan Cease from what happened last year. That would scare me a little bit. Yeah. But apparently the White Sox, like the whole thing was just a disaster last horrible. year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's leaking out now that it was as bad as you could possibly imagine with a major league team. So. Maybe getting him out of there, change of scenery would help. And if you're the Cardinals, you do have a guy that, that will uh, unfailingly be honest with you and Lance Lynn. So you ask Lance Lynn, what's up sure. with Dylan Cease? That's a good yeah. point, and he's going to let you know. He will. He'll be honest about it. Who has it better than us getting this, Tioli? From the 636, Jim Harbaugh will have the Chargers in the Super Bowl before Dan Campbell gets the Lions to the Super Bowl. Ooh, I like Ooh. this one, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it, too. I'm going to take it. I think he's going to get things going with a franchise QB. And mm-hmm. he, he said, I want multiple mm-hmm. championships. That's what he said uh, yesterday. No. So Jim Harbaugh getting multiple yeah. championships no. in the Super Bowl. He's great. But here's the thing. He's got to beat Mahomes and Reed in his own division. At least take it even further. Look at the AFC who he's got to yeah, beat. Yeah, right. He's got Josh Allen. Lamar. You got he's got Burrow. Burrow yeah. It's going to be really difficult to run that gauntlet. It's a lot easier for Dan Campbell to come out of the a, the uh, NFC North. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the AFC yeah. is loaded with QBs. It is. I think they have the six or seven best. Who's I agree. Best quarterback in the NFC. Is it Goff? Is it Dak? Who's the best quarterback in the NFC? Hurts? What about Stafford? Stafford is right there. Jordan Love's Hurts. coming on. Hurts, Love. I yeah. Oh, Jordan Love is another good one. Yes. So, but then look at the AFC. Uh, let's figure out the best guy in the NFC first, okay? Uh, Dak or Hurts? Who are you taking? I'm I, taking Dak. Really? Okay. I might go with Hurts. Okay, Dak or Love? Love. Love. Okay, Love or Fields? Love. Love. Love or... 
Uh, Purdy. Love. Love or Stafford? I'm going to go with Stafford. Love. I, I just think for future. Okay. So future. Let's just, we can go either one. Dan, you're Stafford. Brooke, you're Love. Okay. Um, and your quarterback against Josh Allen. None of them. No, I mean <laughs> Stafford, Stafford or Allen. Oh, I'm going Josh Allen. Love I'm or Allen. Go with jo- Josh Allen. Okay, so this is the game. Tua against your quarterback. Tua led the league in passing yards this year. I don't care. Product of the system, Randy. Okay. That's what he was. Okay. No, I don't really believe that. Okay. Uh, Burrow or your oh, quarterback. I'm going Burrow. Lamar or your quarterback. Lamar. Lamar. Okay, we're up to three. C.J. Stroud or your quarterback. C.J. Stroud. Stroud. We're up to four. Uh, Trevor Lawrence or your quarterback? My quarterback. I'm going to go with Love. Okay. Uh, Herbert or your quarterback? Herbert. Herbert. Uh, Mahomes or your quarterback? Mahomes. My quarterback. No. Mahomes. Yeah, so you got a, you got a half dozen <laughs> AFC like, guys that are better than the NFC guy. That's the point. Yep. The AFC. Loaded. Is yep, loaded. Totally loaded. One more. Teoli, the Blues make the postseason. They make the playoffs only to be eliminated in the wild card round. I'm going to take that. Ooh, yeah, I'll take it too. I'll take it. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, that'd be the last wild card team. And then maybe they beat Vancouver. It'd be great to see him get to a second round. I, I don't think that that happens. I think the ceiling would be the second round. And if you got there, man, it'd be, you, I think you'd look at it and say that was a successful year after what Doug Armstrong said before the season and where you might be in, uh, in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Right now, Vancouver with a four-point lead over Colorado for the best record in the conference. Take it or leave it. You'd rather play Vancouver in the first round than Colorado. Take it. I'm going to take that. So you want to finish eighth rather than seventh at the moment. Colorado is loaded. They could win the Stanley Cup. And and they've got the history, no doubt about it. That's Take It or Leave It. Thanks very much for your texts. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, if the Cardinals have a lead after the sixth, how does your bullpen play out if you're Ollie Marmol? That's next on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Drive late, 
last night, per multiple reports, the Cardinals with a new addition and likely the light and last addition to their bullpen, Keenan Middleton. Now, here's a question for you guys, and we asked this earlier. If the Cardinals have the lead after the sixth inning, if you are Ollie Marmol, how do you set up your bullpen from there on? I think it uh, is a day-by-day case, but I, I would go in the sixth inning, Kittredge and Middleton. One of the things about Middleton that stuck out to me in looking at some of the numbers was his metrics and his whiff percentage was in the top 4% of baseball. His average exit velocity was in the top 3%. Whiff rate, he put up 11 Ks per nine. So that is one guy I'd look at with Middleton. Kittredge would be in there, who, by the way, shameless plug here, we're going to visit with at 930. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd go Gallegos in the eighth and Helsley in the ninth. But it's all subject to change. Yeah, I I am going to my my bridge, and I'm assuming that my starters are going to give me six this year. But if they don't, if they give me five, my bridge to the seventh inning, so seventh, eighth, ninth. My bridge to the seventh inning is Gallegos and Zach Thompson. And I'm intrigued by Riley O'Brien. My my seventh inning right now is going to be Middleton because of his strikeout ability. My eighth is going to be Kittredge, and my ninth is going to be Helsley. And I I can mix and match Romero in there if I have a lefty, tough lefty coming up. I can mix and match Romero in there. So right now... uh, I don't have Gallegos in a high-leverage late-inning situation. I, I think he bounces back. I hope he does. And, again, I, I you know, look at a bullpen after, let's say, three to four weeks. I think there's some more defined roles as you go along, and they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt to get back on track, and that's why I put him in the eighth inning. But if you're a loaded bullpen and you've got Giovanni Gallegos coming out in the sixth, you're pretty good. You yeah, should win a lot of games. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Zach Thompson – can pitch down there or Matt you know if Matt's loses that starting uh wins loses the the starting job to Thompson and I assume those two are battling for the fifth spot Thompson and Matt's I have no complaints I'm not heartbroken if I have Gallegos and Matt's as my main fifth inning guys uh or sixth inning guys rather and then my seventh is Middleton eighth is Kittredge with a, a mixture in there of uh, Yo-Yo Romero, and then Helsley in the ninth, and on those days, every other day, that uh, Helsley can't go, then uh, I'm going to look at one of those two guys. I'm going to look at either Middleton or uh, Kittredge. Am I too bullish on Zach Thompson? I like him. I, I want him to be a starter. I do too, and I'd, I'd love to see Matt in the bullpen. I understand there's a business side to this and what you're paying him. But I think he throws harder coming out of the bullpen because he can let loose. He's only going to be there for three outs. He has a propensity to throw inside to right-handers, more so as a bullpen guy instead of picking as a starter. And I think his stuff is really good coming out of the bullpen. And, Dan, we get hung – and they. I I remember Mike Matheny saying, hey, the contract plays. Fact of the matter is the Cardinals are paying Steven Matz exactly what they paid Andrew Miller to be a reliever. Sure. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Yeah. And to me, I think that that's better than nothing. If you get use out of him, no matter the role, yep. then that's what matters. I liked Steven Matz coming out of the pen. And I honestly did like Zach Thompson at the beginning of the season coming out of the pen as well. And then he became a product of the way that they kept moving him around and his role around. The Zach Thompson thing that you said, Randy, though, I think is really interesting because I'm with Dan on this one. I think that he needs to stay a starter. And they're having him do as so. I see him as potential. Potentially, if there's any injuries, he's somebody who can slot into that role. He is, at worst, your sixth starter. At worst. And 
I think it's safe to assume that at some point somebody's going to get hurt here. A hundred percent in yeah. both the bullpen and yeah. the rotation. That's why you, you got to, you know, if you're being realistic with this thing, you got to have like a seven man rotation. And yeah. there are certain guys that probably deserve to be in the big leagues that won't be. Yeah. And you need, realistically speaking, 18 pitchers. You need to be able to bring up five guys from Memphis at any given time, whether it's a starter or a reliever, because you're going to have those days. It's just the reality of the situation where your bullpen is going to have to give you seven and somebody's going to be gassed. Maybe somebody gives you four and another guy gives you three because you're down 10 to one. And this is where the Cardinals have had a really good offseason by adding people like uh, Ryan Fernandez and making the trade for Ryan, Riley O'Brien and uh, Nick Robertson from Boston. They're in a position now where they can send people out, not as many guys with the addition of Middleton, and bring up a couple of pitchers for the next day, which is what the really good teams are able to do. 217 says, can't trust Gallegos with any lead anymore. I understand that, and I think most people would probably agree with you, Randy, that he goes in the sixth inning, and maybe that's how you start him out. Mm-hmm. Let him have some success in lower leverage situations and then graduate towards the seventh and the eighth where he has had success in that regard. You know, my son Patrick is a Giants fan, and last year we were at a game, a day game, against the Giants, and Gallegos comes on in the ninth, and the Cardinals are up two. And I said to Patrick, how do you feel? He said, pretty good. (laughs) And the Giants came back and won the game. It was the kind of year that he had. Do you think with Giovanni Gallegos, your belief that he will bounce back, was it just a product last season of the pitch clock rule changes as to maybe why he struggled a little bit? I I don't think so. I don't buy into that. I think if you tell guys they need to step it up and be quicker, they can do it. It was awful two years ago watching him pitch. That's just not baseball. Walking around. Taking his time, get on the mound, step off. I mean, at the end of the day, sports is supposed to be entertainment. Mm -hmm. That wasn't entertainment. That was tough to watch. No. And from the 618, where does Libs for you fit this year? I got to extend him down at AAA if he doesn't make the rotation because I've got to protect myself. So I'd, I'd look at him, even though I've felt that he projects as a reliever. I like him coming out of the bullpen. I think others, though, look at him as a starter eventually. But to our point earlier, when you have those kind of injuries and it takes a long time maybe for guys to get stretched out, I'd, you know, I'd try to have him as stretched out as he could be in just in case you need that fifth starter or whatever starter gets injured and he becomes part of the rotation. And I think a guy like Andre Pallante now has his hands full to be here uh, on I agree. opening day. Hey, Randy, a, I'm with you. He's in, a, he's in a competition for sure. Yes, and the way that things went last year, ground ball guy, didn't happen, got hit hard. You've got other options now that they can look at. There, There's a battle there in spring training with him. Yeah. Now, he may get the benefit of the doubt to start the season, that does happen, but if he's ineffective for even a short amount of time, I think you could say because there's desperation with the Cardinals to win and mm-hmm. to win right away. They fell behind so early last year in the season that if a guy is not performing out of the bullpen and he's got options, he's heading to Memphis. That's yeah. just the way I look at it. I, I agree with you 100%. And the, the Libertor question is really interesting because mm-hmm. the Cardinals liked what they saw of Jean King that they got from the Rangers down the stretch last year. That's one lefty reliever. You know Romero is going to be there. You know the loser of the Mats Thompson uh, competition is going to be there. So maybe you have three left-handers in the bullpen. I I wonder. What, I, I think they're – I'm really curious what they think about Steven Matz. Like, do, do they give him a really long leash to be a starter? And if it just doesn't work out in the first 
let's say five starts for him, then he goes to the bullpen. I, if I, and I know Ali is all about competition. This has to be all about competition, and it's got to be a real open competition. It can't be the the situation that uh, Thompson was in last year, where okay, we have you prepared as a starter, but you have no chance of being a starter. To me, the if I was don't you do give it, a veteran though a little longer leash than others? So you have talking to about with the contract. Thompson and Mats well, specifically. See, the thing is, Mats is so effective out of the bullpen. That would be my difference. I, okay, I, I want to. I want to pitch the. I want the best starter that I can have mm-hmm. pitching for me in, in that rotation out of the box. But the contract plays. It that's does. The biggest part. It does, and that's why I think the Cardinals have to look at their pitching staff right now as a portfolio, and and think about it from that perspective. Okay, I've got this much allocated to my starting rotation and my bullpen to my pitching staff. It doesn't matter how much I'm paying one guy. I know the guy's going to be there, right? The $11 million is going to be paid. But again, I paid $11 million to a lefty reliever for three years who didn't do much for me. This guy has a chance to be better. And you're starting to get to the back end of the deal. I mean, that's something to think about, too. This is not year one of the four-year deal, and that's something to keep in mind as they move forward. Yep. Uh, That is today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to visit with our buddy Joey Vitale. Talk a little bit about Disney. I think uh, our buddy... Uh, Alex Ferrario is down. is he at Disney right now? Gonna ask uh, that if that's a good play. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The great Joe Vitale joins us every Friday morning on the opening drive on 101 ESPN, and he's with us now. Good morning, Joey V. How you doing? Hey, Randy, doing good. Doing a little little time off uh, with the Blues All-Star break and thinking about taking the little ones to the zoo the next couple of days. One of my favorite spots in St. Louis when I find a little time. So hopefully we'll we'll square that away in the next couple of days. Weather's been beautiful and looking forward to the penguin exhibit and all those polar bears. Oh, that'll be fun. You know that penguin exhibit, it stinks. Why do penguins and puffins smell so bad? <laughs> No, no, that's that's what's crazy. I I, I like that smell. I, I think some I think it's rare, but some people like that fishy smell. Like when you go into like a fish market or like, you know, that salty sea or you know just like that. I don't know what it is exactly, but I I go. I mean, I can't stay in there all day, but <laughs> I don't know. There's something uh, there's something kind of organic and raw about it. I'm kind of I'm a fan of it. It's a good word, or organic and raw. That's two good good words for the outstanding Penguin and Puffin exhibit at the Free St. Louis Zoo. Okay, I got to ask you now. All Star Break, great. Well, I, I think I know the answer from Joe Vitale, but Alex Ferrario has taken his family to Disney down in Orlando uh, during this break. Thumbs up or thumbs down on that? Oh my gosh! If I had three hands, it'd be three thumbs up. That 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 is <laughs> completely within bounds and accepted and not only that, but encouraged. Uh, Alex and I, we, we, we share a lot of great things in common, but the one thing we do, uh, maybe the most important thing is our affinity for, for Disney world. It, there is something so nostalgic about going back. I love taking all my kids playing a trip in the spring. I take my girls every, every spring and my, my oldest daughter and my younger girl, Bertie, we go every year like a father father daughter trip. It's still one of my all time favorite trips I do throughout the year. But listen, it's it's Disney, right? I mean, I I I try to prep people when they go to Disney, and what I say to people who have never been there before, like, hey, I know you're a big Disney guy, because like, I, I go you know once twice a year, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, I know you're a big Disney guy. Just you know, help me out. Like, what's what's going on? Da da da. Like, what do I need to do? What do I need to expect? 
And I just, I honestly, guys, I just say one thing now. I'm like, you know what? Forget the fast pass. Don't worry about the meal. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not even going to go there. With Disney, if you want to enjoy it, you just have to go all in. Like, there's no, there's no half in, half out, right? You just, like, when you go into that park, you better, you better have, you know, your Mickey ears purchased. You better just get the stroller, get the three balloons that cost like 45 bucks a piece, <laughs> um, get, the, get the turkey leg, right? You just, and you got to just soak up the crying, the sweat, the tears, you know, the, uh, the mascara from the princess dress up <laughs> running in your daughter's eye. Like, just go all in, prepare to spend a good 10 grand when you're there buying Rice Krispie treats and souvenirs. I mean, it's just, there's no other way to do it because if you don't do it that way, you're going to still be spending the money. And at the end of the day, you're not even going to enjoy it. So you might as well just go all in with it. And I found that to be very true. And, and I hope Alex is certainly doing that now. Great advice. Okay. Final Disney question from me, Joe Vitale's favorite Disney character. Oh, Jack, Jack, um, Jack Sparrow, without a doubt. Okay, good, good call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's solid. I mean, when my when I used to go as a kid, so my mom and dad used to bring us. I was one of six, so my mom would take us all down there. My dad would catch up with us because he had work, but we would go into the park and we would just go right to the pirate ride, and we would just hang out at the pirate ride. We'd do it once or twice. And honest to God, Randy, it was it was we would just stand in the gift shop. We would hang out in the gift shop. And we would play there for like two hours. So my mom, you know, she's just like, again, one of six. I, you know, she's got six kids running around. We would hit pirates. We'd do the gift shop. We'd blow like 400 bucks on plastic swords that would break within within the hour and eye patches and hats. And then we'd go back to the hotel and we would just play with the pirate toys. And that, that's all I did for the first like 10 years ago in Disney was I just thought it was just the pirate ride. And then, of course, I met my wife. And she, one of the, we have a lot in common as well, but. Disney is like, you think I'm crazy. Like, this this gal is completely off the radar as far as when it comes to Disney. And the first time we went, when we were dating, she's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I go, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. We go to Pirates. We hang out there for a while. We play with the plastic swords. We shoot the, we shoot the wood guns. And then we go home. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we, we hit Pirates first. She goes, you do not hit Pirates first. So like, Why wouldn't you hit Pirates first? Everyone hits Pirates first. Like, nobody hits Pirates first. So we went into this whole thing. Long story short, she was right. The pirates, the pirates line is really not that long. She got me to go to Peter Pan, and we explored the Seven Dwarves, and we hit the, you know, all the mine trains, like the Space Mountain, all the ones with actually long lines. We hit first, and believe it or not, we actually hit every ride within like a half a day. So I, I do appreciate my wife for helping me with the Disney itinerary. But yeah, starting at Pirates is probably not the most efficient, especially if you have kids. That sounds like the best date ever, Joey. I I have to say, that sounds like a great time. Now, I want to switch gears just a little bit, but this is something that I want to ask you about with the NHL All-Star Weekend. Not that it's bad, but I think it could be a little bit better, a little bit more entertaining, especially for TV purposes. What would you like to change about the NHL All-Star Weekend? Uh, I saw the NFL, they did like a dodgeball. Did you guys see the dodgeball game? Yes. Yesterday? I thought that was actually kind of fun. Uh, or like a pickleball. I would love to see a two-on-two pickleball match between, you know, the East can get a couple pairs and, you know, obviously the Metro and all, all that kind of stuff. Pickleball is becoming more and more of a popular thing. The players play a ton of it in the spring and summer, and they're, they're quite good, actually. I mean, I spent the last couple off-seasons with, you know, Robert Bortuzzo, Braden Shens, uh, played quite a bit as well. And they actually have a little pickleball court outside 17 where they kind of get warmed up. So I would say, uh, I would say if I had to say one, I think it'd be really entertaining. 
to watch a pickleball match. I mean, watching watching hockey players play pickleball, it is the – I mean, because I'll, I'll go play with, like, kind of these semi-pros and these guys that are pretty good around town. And some of, these, some of these men and women are in their 60s, but, man, they can lay the ball down and they're great at their dinks and they know the short game, they know the long game, they know how to serve, they have great services. Like, there's this whole strategy behind pickleball. And hockey players just go out there with our big legs and – we're just wrong, wrong, smashing balls and crushing balls. And, and these old people are just kind of like thinking and just like playing with us. And we're running all over the courts, like sweating all over the court. And they haven't even broken a sweat. But it, it is fun to see the aggression. Uh, such a, a – in a game that requires so much strategy, and if you just were to understand the intelligence of it, it just makes it so much easier. But, of course, hockey players aren't in tune with that quite as much. So I would say pickleball. It's interesting, Joey, where the Blues are with the trade deadline not that far away, and they they call this a retool, not a rebuild, and yet you're in the the hunt for the playoffs. This is going to be an interesting, uh, let's see, three to four weeks before the deadline, isn't it? Really interesting, Danny Mac. I mean, listen, there's 14 games, you know, and the Blues, I last I think it was five, five over 500. And, you know, we keep talking about that game over 500, and, you know, for fans who don't know what that means, it just, well, it's just a, it's just a benchmark. I mean, last year, the Winnipeg Jets were the second wild card spot. They got in. They snuck in at the very end. And they, have, they were 13 games over the 500 mark. So that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of where the Blues are, where they need to be. Uh, with 14 games before the deadline, ultimately, you know, before the general manager needs to make a decision. So, again, a lot of fans, again, well, why are we talking about 14 games before the deadline if we still have X amount of games before the end of the year where they can make a playoff push? Well, that's where a lot of decisions are going to be made and going to predicate where this team is going to go, what direction, of course, the general manager uh, wants to go in, and that's what happened last year, right? Shortly out of the All-Star break, what was interesting was that Doug Armstrong, he does not like to waste a lot of time. He's never wasted a lot of time. You know, right off the hop, he was three weeks ahead of it, two weeks ahead of it, making moves with O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Mikula and Achari, and then eventually Barbashev at the very end on, on the final decision point. But he, he's a general manager that likes to get ahead of things, and I think that it's kind of twofold. This team is certainly in a position to make a push, do I think that they can go the distance to a Santa Cup championship? That I don't know. But can they get in and can they get past the first round? Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at this team, and we have something just like I talked about with on the BK and um, Ferraro show and, of course, with uh, yesterday with, with BK because Alex out of town. But we have a goaltending tandem, especially in Jordan Bennington, that he can steal a series. He's that good. He's that elite. He's that poised. He's that ready for the moment where if you can sneak in, you could definitely figure out a way to get to the second round. I really do believe that. But on the flip side, the other side of the coin is this. Does Doug Armstrong even really allow that? I mean, yeah, you can certainly make it, uh, make it to that point and certainly sneak in with a different group, but is he already thinking something else? Is he already thinking, you know, this team right now, we're not going to keep sneaking in, losing the first round, or sneaking in, losing the second round. We need to – figure out a way to really think about the future and continue to do what he did last year, which is move some big pieces, which if he ends up doing that, he ends up doing that. And that's, and that's totally within his right, given the way this team has been up and down all year long. So, you know, it's a team certainly making a push, but then the general manager has to make decisions about what the direction of this organization moving forward, not only this year, but the years after. So both ways you have to certainly respect. And uh, I think we will find out here probably the next couple of weeks the direction that this uh, our general manager wants to go in. Joey V, have a great time at the zoo with all the little Vitalis. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy this break, and we will talk to you next week, all right? 
Sounds great. You do. You guys have a great weekend. Thanks, brother. That's Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, I think we need a fighter for the fight, right, Bradford? Yes, we do. Just text in your name and the word fight to 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO! The fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the Welcome back to the opening drive, and it is now time for the fight. Our fighter today is Brian. Brian, how are you doing today? You know, Brooke, I'm doing pretty good. It's a Friday. It's almost a weekend. Mm. Hopefully this uh, third time I can take Randy down and make him have a bad weekend. Wait, did you say third time? Yes. The last two I've gone into overtime. Wow. Mm. You hear that, Dan? I heard it. He went to the closest to the pin tiebreaker, and apparently he didn't win. So today, no, the last it's time, time to change it. The, the last time was about Albert Pujols, so I was like, ugh. All right. I got mm. it this time. All right. Well, let's see if you can challenge Randy once again. You ready for question number one, Brian? Yes, ma'am. Brand new Baltimore Oriole Corbin Burns took home the 2021 National League Cy Young Award as a member of the Brewers, but who claimed the AL Cy Young honors that season? Was it Garrett Cole, Robbie Ray, or Justin Verlander? That would have been, had to have been Justin Verlander. Is that your final, final answer, answer, Brian? Okay, question two. Away we go. 101 ESPN. Oh, man, we're going to air the Pro Bowl <laughs> games this Sunday afternoon at 2. Who's the only St. Louis Ram to be named Pro Bowl MVP? Steven Jackson, Kurt Warner, or Mark Bulger? Oh, well, Pro Bowl. I don't know who watches the Pro Bowl. so That's right, because uh, everyone's okay. listening. On 101 yeah. ESPN. <laughs> I'm going to take a shot in the dark here and say Kurt Warner. Final answer, sir? Yes, sir. Question three, please, Brooke. Question number three. Justin Rose is among the PGA Tour pros and celebs currently teeing it up at Pebble Beach. Which of the four majors did Rose win in 2013? Is it the Masters, the British Open, or the U.S. Open? That would be... 2013, let's go U.S. Open, final answer. Okay, question four. There have only been two defensemen to capture MVP honors in an NHL All-Star game. Bruins legend Bobby Ord turned the trick in 1972. Name the other. Was it Kale McCarr, Ray Bork, Paul Coffey? I am sorry, Dan. Can you repeat that question? There have been only two defensemen to capture MVP honors in an NHL All-Star game. One of them was Bruins legend Bobby Orr. That was back in 1972. Can you name the other? And the choices are Kale McCarr, Ray Bork, Paul Coffey. So I'm going to go with Ray Bork. Final answer. Okay. 
Final answer is Ray Bork. You know, we had a friend of Randy's, since he's going into the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame, bring in First Watch, and I mean a lot of First Watch. is one of the great breakfast places (laughs) here in St. Louis. And so now we've got Randy. He may have a mouthful of pancakes. We're not sure. Oh, you're waiting, huh? Oh, he has his pancake selected over there, Dan. Yes, he does. Picked out the perfect pancake, brother. Okay. And sister. Are you ready for the fight? I'm ready. Okay. Yes. Say hi to Brian, Randy. Brian, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. All right. You ready for question number one, Randy? Ready. Brand new Baltimore Oriole, Corbin Burns, took home the 2021 National League Cy Young Award as a member of the Brewers. But who claimed the AL Cy Young honors that season? 2021 AL Cy Young. Uh, let's see, 23, 22. Um, 22 was when Verlander came back and won it. 21... Let's see. Um, did Cole win it? Um, let me just kind of run through the teams here. Central, um, West. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to... I think I'm going to go with Garrett Cole of the Yankees for that one. Final answer, Randall. Final answer, Dan. Question two, 101 ESPN will air the Pro Bowl games this Sunday afternoon at 2. Yes. Who's the only St. Louis Ram to be named Pro Bowl MVP? Ooh, that's a friend of the show, Mark Bulger. Mark Bulger was the Pro Bowl MVP. Question three, please. Justin Rose is among the PGA Tour pros and celebs currently teeing it up at Pebble Beach. Which of the four majors did Rose win in 2013? I believe Justin Rose was the champion of the United States Open. I'll go U.S. Open. Would you rather win the Masters or the U.S. Open? Masters. Masters. Really? Yeah. I don't know. The Open Championship, our nation's champion, anybody can try to qualify. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. Not that I wouldn't like winning the U.S. Open. Yeah, either one would work. The green jacket. And the the meal the year after. Yes. You'd have first watch. Free food. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question four. There have only been two defensemen to capture MVP honors in an NHL All-Star game. Bruins legend Bobby Orr back in 1972. Can you name the other? I, I know this is going to be the exact same, uh, probably the exact same list th- that I would have. I'm thinking probably you're going to have Coffee, Bork, Larry Murphy. We know that Prongs and McInnes didn't do it. Um, but I'll do the lifeline just in case. What the heck, I got it there. K.L. McCarr, no. Ray Bork, Paul Coffey. I will go with uh, fellow Bruins legend Raymond Bork. Dan. Is that your final answer, Randall? My, my final answer, sir. Okay. Extremely good battle on this morning, gentlemen and Brooke. We're going into All-Star Weekend, about which I know you're very excited, Dan. Promoting that Pro Bowl heavily. Give us the games. <laughs> give us the flag football. Give us a victor on this Friday. Who's it going to be? The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by Car Shield. Plans to fit any budget. Visit carshield.com today.
How about that? No, you don't have anything. I was waiting I for you nothing. to say something. No, I, I'm, that's it. That's a, that's a good thing. I'm, Just win, baby. I'll, I'll take the W. I do laugh at that every time. I'm, I'm gonna, the doon, 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 I take that out, and I just go, just win, baby. I used to do that, but now you need the celebration of the air horns. I like the air Don't horns. Don't do it again, Randy. It hurts my ears. Oh, God, here we go. Here we are. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> It was a nice fight, though. Brian, let's run through the results You're with you, sir. You're rubbing it into Brian. I don't like I'm that. I'm rubbing it in for you. Hey, Brian from Sunset so Hills. Just win, babies, when I like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're good. Did a nice, nice job. Let's go through <laughs> these answers. So Corbin Burns, now of the Baltimore Orioles, he won the 2021 NL Cy Young Award with the Brewers, who actually took home the AL Cy Young honors that season. This was a tricky one for both individuals. The options were Cole Verlander and None other than Robbie Ray, one of those outlier Cy Young winners. He actually went 13 and 7, had 248 punch outs and a 2.84 ERA for Toronto that season. That's right. 101 ESPN, the proud home of the Pro Bowl games on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. The only St. Louis. the Pro Bowl games, okay? You know. (laughs) Home of the Pro Bowl games. Proud might be a stretch. You gotta sell it. You gotta sell it. The lone St. Louis Ram to be named a Pro Bowl MVP. That was back in 2004. Although I think it was technically the 2003 game. In any event, Mark Bolger, do you remember when 55 to 52 was a high-scoring Pro Bowl game Uh, at that time? Right, right. It was the highest-scoring game. Bolger and Manning dueling. He threw for four touchdowns. The Rams had a lot of Pro Bowl reps that year too on the defensive side. Leonard Little as Mm -hmm. well. Orlando course on the offensive line justin rose question number three among the pga tour pros and celebrities teeing it up at pebble beach this weekend which of the four major championships did he claim back in 2013 that was the u.s open and dan he defeated which two golfers by two strokes if you recall jason day and phil by two strokes in 2013 i think he had like a four stroke lead going into 17 or 18 put one on the back and but he had such a lead it didn't matter yeah and And phil didn't choke yeah, his he, final he gave score. Away a lot of majors. Oh, filled oh man, what was the final score? One over par. Yeah. for the championship. Pretty tough. Brutal, brutal. And finally, question number four: Two defensemen in the history of the NHL All Star Game have captured MVP honors. You have to go all the way back to Bobby Orr of the Bruins in 1972, as well as the other, a bit more recent. Ray Bork did it in '96. He actually tallied the game winner. In Beantown with about 35 seconds to go. Talk about that narrative. Brian, appreciate the effort today, sir. Time number three wasn't exactly victorious, but come back and see us again soon. Have a great weekend, sir. Thanks, guys. You do as well. Thank Thank you. Have a great weekend. We appreciate it. You know what, Randy? I miss, and Brooke, I miss Sean Taylor taking someone out at the Pro Bowl. That's what yeah, I meant. Oh, yes. Just, you remember? Let it, just a yard sale there. It's interesting because Sean Taylor apparently was just such a well-liked guy. Nobody wants to talk that was involved in the play about Sean Taylor literally running away from Steven Jackson <laughs> yeah. because he didn't want to get steamrolled by Steven. Exactly. But everybody, you know, you ask anybody that was involved in the play, they say, oh, man, Sean Taylor was a great player. What a great guy. I think back to it now. How crazy is it to have a Pro Bowl with the amount of money that these guys are making and can get hurt in a Pro yep. Bowl game? Yeah. Jim Easily. Hart did. Exactly. Jim Hart uh, injured an eye, and he uh, was actually, uh, until the next regular season, he, he I think he missed the f- 
first part of training camp and the, a couple of preseason games with a bad eye injured in a Pro Bowl game. It's insane to play that game. It is crazy. If I was an agent, I'd say to my client, not a chance. Yeah. Now you, now you got dodgeball. It's a lot better. <laughs> Safer. Coming up, <laughs> yeah. coming up here on 101 ESPN, we've got They Said What? It's coming your way. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. What you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? What you talking about? Do you actually listen to yourself when you speak, or do you find you drift in and out? What you talking about? I'm out, man. It is time for They Said What? With Brooke, Randy, and Dan here. And guys, despite Brock Purdy leading the 49ers to the Super Bowl, on his podcast, Cam Newton is still doubling down on his take that Brock Purdy is just a game manager, and he even took it a step further recently in his most recent comments about Brock Purdy. I've never said that Brock Purdy was trash. What I did say is Brock Purdy is a game manager. That's not hate. That's just what I feel to be facts. But I still reserve the right to say this, to be labeled a game changer. Brock Purdy has to be the best player on the offensive side of the ball. Hmm. And that's not the case. And who's the best player? Christian McCaffrey. Hmm. Man, look, I ain't recanting. And if you really want to just be honest, if you add in the defensive talent and you add in the offensive talent, Brock Purdy is the 10th best player on this team. Okay, cool. Did he have a great game? Yes. Is he been playing out of his mind? Yes. Is he a quarterback that's hot? Yes. Yes but he's still the 10th best player on his team. Now, Cam Newton has really been coming after Brock Purdy. Now, he's saying he's not coming after him in a sense, but still, he's been really big on him being a game manager despite Brock Purdy leading the 49ers to this huge moment, this huge game, taking him to the Super Bowl. Do you guys agree with what he said? Because he's not exactly wrong. I do think that Christian McCaffrey is the best player Mm -hmm. on that team. And... I think we can make the argument that Ayuk and Samuel and Trent Williams and Bosa and Warner, Fred Warner, and uh, Dre Greenlaw, I, I think we can make the argument that all of those players are better. But I would rather have Brock Purdy winning for me rather than Cam Newton throwing interceptions and losing games for me. <laughs> Trent Williams is one of my favorite players in the NFL. He's awesome. And he's an offensive lineman. Yeah. I sometimes just solo watch him just to see what he's doing. Brock Purdy is able to throw because of Trent Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's protecting yeah. his backside. The guy is awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. He's, he's Purdy might be the fifth or sixth best player uh, offensively, but he gets the ball in the right hands. And I got to tell you, Brooke, that's a hot take. Yep. Those are hot taken, hot caking takes from Cam <laughs> Newton. He is number one. Uh, he sounds like he's a little Jay for jealous, Cam does, which is fine. But. The fact of the matter is the ultimate bottom line is that Brock Purdy is going to start in the Super Bowl. Yep. And that's what matters, right? Yeah. And he has been able to lead them to this point. And with Cam, he also has mentioned this about Dak Prescott, some of the other quarterbacks out there as well. And I I get it somewhat. But with Brock Purdy, you do still have to give him credit. I feel like at this point, I, that manager, the game manager title and narrative has been somewhat squashed for him. Yeah, he's... and. and taking nothing away from Cam Newton's playing ability. But Purdy is doing a lot of the things that Cam did. He can't run to the level that Cam did, but Purdy is getting the ball into the hands of playmakers. It's not like 
Cam Newton never had playmakers around him. He wasn't doing it himself either. He had Steve Smith, and yep. he, he had Stephen Davis, and he had you know he had some pretty good players. Foster, uh, they had offensive linemen. They they had uh, 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 Jordan Gross at left tackle. They had a lot of good players on his teams too, and he never won a Super Bowl. So let's see what happens. Bottom line is San Francisco is loaded. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I they mean, are. they just have loaded yeah. talent on the offensive side of the football. Nothing to be ashamed of. Well, no. and I guess to Cam's point, if you think about the Chiefs, who is their best player? It's Patrick the quarterback. If you talk about the Bills, who is their best player? Yep, it's it's the quarterback. So I get what he's saying in that sense, but still another low blow at Brock Purdy yeah, from Cam Newton. So staying with the Super Bowl theme, Super Bowl Sunday, I think, is a part of the American culture at this point. It just works well together, and it's what we all know. But what if we held it on a different day? Here's Dan Patrick's idea for a better day for the Super Bowl. I got a grassroots campaign that I want to run by. And I want you to tell me if you like it and what we can do. So something to think about when it comes to when the Super Bowl is played. If we have two weeks in between conference title games and the Super Bowl, how about we play the Super Bowl on the Saturday instead of the Sunday two weeks after the AFC-NFC title games. Who's with me? Everybody. Yes. Wouldn't it be great that you have all of this time so both teams get plenty of rest? Saturday is the Super Bowl. Sunday you get to recover. Paulie? I think you will get unanimous support. Once you get over the stupid awkwardness of removing the phrase Super Bowl Sunday, which will bother me for about three minutes, the idea that you could be Saturday Put the game even a little bit later start. It doesn't have to be 6.15. It could be 7. Mm -hmm. People could have parties, stay out later, not worry about running home and being at work the next day. Yeah. You would, I think you'd find almost unanimous support for that idea. To me, it makes a lot of sense. I raised my ha hand when he said, who would be in support of this? Because it makes a lot of sense, but doesn't make too much sense. Here's the thing. Isn't... Saturday night, the second least watched television yes. night after Friday night. Yes, because and isn't the most out. watched night for TV Sunday night? And doesn't the NFL generally play their games on Sundays? Yeah. Who cares, Randy? That makes too much sense. Let's play on Saturdays. Yeah, let's let's do that. I'll, and Dan should know this, Dan Patrick, and I think he does. The NFL is all about viewership. And mm -hmm. casual fans are going to gravitate towards a game on Sa Sunday more than they are on Saturday. Saturday's a night to go out and watch a movie, go to dinner, maybe finish up some shopping. Sunday is a night where your weekend is ending, and the casual observer that wouldn't ordinarily watch the Super Bowl is going to tune in because it's the thing on TV. Hardcore fans, yeah, we're all going to watch the Super Bowl. But on Saturday night, not everybody is going to watch the Super Bowl. I would prefer Monday be a national holiday. If you're going to put it on yes. Sunday, <laughs> let's make let's go to the flip side of Sunday, the other side, and make Monday a national holiday in the United States. Yeah, I agree with you. If if we are going to stick with Super Bowl Sunday, which of course that's what's going to happen, but this is still a campaign that we're trying to get going here, guys. I still think that Saturday is a good option, a good idea. College football works on Saturdays, right? It does, but they, I bet if they have their druthers, they play on Sundays. I really believe that because, because people of, are home, yeah, settled in. Right. That's to Randy's point. It, and Saturday nights are 
What did you say, Randy? The second uh, least watched right. of the night. Friday so. night is the night with the lowest number yep. of viewers. Saturday night is the second lowest. Make Sunday a national holiday. Or, I'm sorry, Monday. Uh, Monday. Yep, mm-hmm. that's how I do it. From the 314 to your point, Dan, I've taken off the Monday after the Super Bowl for the past three years, and it is incredible. Even if you don't think drink a lot that day, having the long weekend in the middle of February is wonderful. I'm on the younger side, too. I think a lot of people in general just take Monday off after the Super Bowl. Yeah, why not? It's, let me ask you this, The game is so, over by 8.30, 8, would, 9 o'clock. Would you change, though... The viewership, if you put it on a Saturday, or do you still think it stays lower than if you had it on Sunday? I think last year, I think so in if America, you, got you, to it. you had 110 million viewers. You might lose 10%, might have 100 million viewers, which those eyeballs are really, really valuable to advertisers. Yeah. And that's what the, the NFL is looking at. Think of this from the prism of money. Don't look at it as a, from the prism of convenience or don't look at it from the prism of, okay, this makes sense. Look at it from the prism of money because that's the way the NFL owners are looking at it. They are. From the 314, disagree. It's the Super Bowl. People will watch it if it came out at midnight on a Monday. I disagree with that. And I think we have, uh, there's a reason that the game isn't on Sunday afternoon anymore. Back in my day, when I was a kid, the the game was held at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Do you think it really, uh, you think CBS wouldn't prefer to be able to run their primetime programming if everything else was equal and you had the exact same amount of viewers for the Super Bowl that you had at 3, that you have at 7? You don't think they'd prefer to debut their new shows starting at 7 o'clock rather than 9 o'clock? No, but there's a reason it's called prime time, (laughs) right? Because that's the prime time to get viewers. Now, the Super Bowl kicks off roughly, what, 5.30 now? 5.37. Yeah. 5.37. Yeah. I don't know, guys. I still want it to happen on Saturday. I'm fully in on that. I know. It's not going to happen. I know. You need a change.org petition. I will start one yeah, there with you Dan go. Patrick's it'll, help, okay? It'll, it'll make a huge difference, I'm sure. <laughs> it will. Don't all those make a huge difference, Randy? Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Super Sunday, it, and it's Sunday is the NFL's day. They aren't going to go away from their day for Saturday night where they're going to lose a bunch of viewers and money. Just not going to happen. Agree to disagree. Well, that was They Said What. That's Randy, and I'm Brooke, and that's Dan. Coming up with Corbin Burns heading to the Orioles. Do the Cardinals have the best starting rotation now in the NL Central? We'll discuss that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, the Cardinals signed Keenan Middleton last night to augment their bullpen. And also last night, Corbin Burns traded by the Milwaukee Brewers to the Baltimore Orioles. And when you look around the division now, and yes, the the Cubs lost Marcus Stroman. They added him in August. So the Cubs, at at very best, probably are a wash with their rotation from last year. They brought back Kyle Hendricks. Uh, They've got an okay rotation. Pittsburgh has Mitch Keller at the top of their rotation. Cincinnati has Graham Ashcraft at the top of their rotation. They made some nice Martin, uh, additions in Mar- Nick Martinez, and if Frankie Montas is healthy, he can be a serviceable guy. But I do think, and this is even though I don't think the Cardinals have a legitimate number one, but I do think their rotation of Gray, Lynn, Gibson, Michaelis, and either Thompson or Matt's 
is the best in the division. When you look around, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Milwaukee has really dramatically fallen off with the losses of Woodruff and now Corbin Burns. They might be actually at the bottom now, even mm-hmm. though they brought Wade Miley back. I think the Cardinals have, and this is prohibitive, the best rotation in the division. I think 100%. That was my first reaction when I saw that news. One, I was really surprised that that happened because with the Brewers, I thought maybe they would try to continue to build around him. I know that he was going to be very expensive, but they still could have kept him for this season. And so I was surprised by that move. But then my next reaction was, wow, this really opens things up for the Cardinals. And I do think now they do have the better starting rotation right now in the division. I asked you guys this earlier. Who is the top pitcher or the top starting pitcher now in the division? I do think Ashcraft is interesting. I think if Mitch Keller is, and by the way, the Pirates did finish ahead of the Cardinals last year. But if Mitch Keller is put it on teams and obviously steal, I think front of the rotation wise, other teams are better. But here's the thing I'm looking at. I think that whether it's Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Cincinnati or Chicago, that the loser of the Mats Thompson battle would be in any of those teams' rotations. Yep, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And when they lose Corbin, it's a huge loss. So his projected WAR was near four. The rotation for Milwaukee projection was around eleven. It hurts. Don't don't get me wrong about what I'm going to say, but they're still pretty good. Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, Colin Ray, Aaron Ashby. I was looking uh, last night. They got Joe Ross. They got uh, Carlos Rodriguez, Robert Gasser. I mean, they've they've got some options that they could use in their rotation. But, man, losing Corbin Burns is a big deal. And on the flip side of that for Baltimore, they're going for broke. Yeah. New ownership. You get Corbin Burns. You think with an influx of cash with the Angelos family, I think they own 30%. The new ownership has 40%. And then it comes 60% because once – when uh, Peter Angelos dies. Yes. And so all of a sudden, they're going to spend money, presumably, mm-hmm. and they're going to lock up their young talent and stay relevant in the American League East. Well, and here's the thing now. Baltimore, and this is what I always talk about when I talk about Dylan Cease or getting a guy like Burns. Now, if you are the Orioles, you feel pretty good about going into a series where you're going against Cole, mm-hmm. Garrett Cole, or when he's healthy, uh, Shane McClanahan, yep. you, you feel pretty good uh, against going, a, and now with Sale out of the division, going against whoever Boston can throw out there as their number one. If you're Milwaukee, and, and their other starting pitching, filling out the rotation, is very young, but very good. They'll have John Means back for the whole year this year. So they're going to be pretty darn good. And uh, I'm I'm really intrigued to watch them. Our friend Elisa, friend of the show, weighed in on the Cardinal pitching for 2024. So with bullpens, I think it's always a crapshoot. So I think right now I'm as happy as I can be. I mean, sure, I wish they would have got Hater, but that's a story for a different day. So, yeah, the bullpen I'm okay with. I just want to know no one ever addresses it. Who's driving in 1,125 runners left on? Could somebody please <laughs> address Who's fixing situational hitting? Just one time, one show, one segment. All right, everybody have a good weekend. Thanks. Uh, Lisa, it's interesting when you say that uh, bullpens are a crapshoot. In 2013, the Cardinals hit 330 with runners in scoring position. They weren't any different than they were in 2012 or 2014, 
but it was a crapshoot. It, it just happened. And that's what happens many times with runners in scoring position. The analytics people or the, the, the Sabre metric people, and by the way, I'm talking to the uh, Bob Bragg chapter of the Sabre tomorrow. It's going to be fun. But there's a lot of people On that a believe, Saturday? Yeah. Oh, nice. A lot of people that believe there's no such thing as clutch. I do think that there is oh, such thing yeah. as clutch. But normally... You aren't going to hit 330 when the rest of the team is hitting 275. That was an outlier. And what the Cardinals have to hope is that if they hit 265 as a team, that they hit 265 with runners in scoring position. I think clutch is a real thing. Just ask David Freeze. Mm-hmm. That, no that whole experience. Yep. Why is Reggie Jackson called Mr. October? Yes. Right? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a real thing. And... That was one of the things that is one of the great things about Mark McGuire. When you talk about David Freeze, Mark McGuire is so into the mental aspect of hitting. Many people in baseball now, why did Jordan Walker get sent out last year? It was for physical things. It was mm-hmm. to h- enhance his launch angle. Mark McGuire is all about the mental, and I hope there's somebody within the Cardinals organization whether it's Turner Ward or anybody else on their hitting staff, that does stress the mental aspect of playing the game. Baseball is so process-oriented now that they've almost gotten away from results-oriented. Bases loaded average, by the way, was 190 for the Cardinals last year. Inexcusable. 190, and the league average was 265. You're leaving a lot of runners on base. If you're doing that with the bases loaded, and that's why you need they to have terrible. Yep, you need to have people that walk to the plate with a really good idea and a really good game plan of what they're going to do. And I don't care if guys are throwing 100 miles an hour. You should never strike out with the bases loaded. The Cardinals listen to out. Yeah, the Me- the Mets, the Nationals, Pirates, and Giants are the only teams that scored more runs per game than the Cardinals. And nobody ever accused those teams of being the 27 Yankees. No. The Cardinals have too no. many good hitters. For that to be the case, to hit 190 with... It felt like they were just pressing too much last season. And and that's why I say, you have a game plan. Have uh, The the, the hay should be in the barn when you walk to the plate. You shouldn't have to think at all when you walk to the plate in one of those situations. And you you always love to have, and there's very few that are Matt Holliday or Albert Pujols, uh, where the heart rate doesn't change in those situations. But I believe... If you have a game plan for the situation when you walk to the plate, and I've never been a hitter. This is just talking from people that know hitting. Albert, Mark, it seems like if you have a game plan, you're in a much better spot. I think that, to Lisa's point, legitimate. I mean, the offense wasn't where it needed to be a year ago. But to your point, Randy, I think regression back to the mean. You know what I mean? It's, I think it, it's going to be better. I also believe that out of the bullpen. So now you got Kittredge, Robertson. O'Brien, Fernandez, Middleton, and you've got also coming back Helsley, Gallegos, Romero, Palante, John King. I mean, you've got at least some guys that you can work with, and some of those are swing and miss. The the one problem I had last year in high leverage situations, the ERA was over 10 for the Cardinals yeah. bullpen last year, only a 56% save percentage. I would think some of that regresses back to the mean, and you're getting more people to throw at you, and you'll find out more about these players in the first four to six weeks. Then you can structure your bullpen. They probably have ideas where guys will be fitted in uh, during the game, 6th, 7th, and 8th, ninth, which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. But at least there's more options, legitimate major league options, and guys that have swing and miss. Yeah. That was a real problem last year, the swing and miss. I think they were 29th 
out of the uh, out of Major League Baseball. And can I give you guys a really important salient point? The guy to watch in spring training is number fifty-eight. His name is Wilking Rodriguez. He's back, baby. <laughs> that was a, that was the big difference maker last season, wasn't it? Yes, they missed him. <laughs> they did. So he'll he'll be back. It wasn't and... World Baseball Classic or anything like that. But to your point, Dan, going back to that, that's why I like the addition of Keenan Middleton because it does add more competition in the pen, yeah. and that's what you need going to the season. He had a three point three eight ERA between the White Sox and Yankees last season, sixty four Ks and fifty and two thirds innings. I really like this addition because I think that there were some question marks with the bullpen. It felt like you needed added one more arm, and he adds more of that swing and miss. Yeah, he, he definitely has swing and miss. I mean, the metrics were very strong. Whip percentage was in the top 4% of baseball. Average exit velocity was in the top 3%. Struck out nearly 12 per nine. So this is what they wanted to address. They wanted to get more swing and miss. Kittredge is another one that gives them swing and miss. You know Ryan Helsley's going to give you that. So I, I think on the surface, at least, talking, what, three to four weeks out from spring training, it does seem to be a better bullpen, which had to be addressed. And we should note here, Keenan Middleton is the guy that ripped the White Sox culture. He talked about the rookie yeah. that was sleeping in the bullpen and said that there really were no rules for the White Sox last year. So uh, he, he's a guy that cares about winning and about what it takes to win, which I like a lot. I, I wonder if they... I bet they did. Went to Lance Lynn and said, tell us a little bit about the makeup of this guy. Why wouldn't you use that as a resource? Yeah. You right. know, use some of the players that you have to, to ask them about other players in the league. Yeah. he's Here's a great quote about uh, the White Sox last year from Middleton. He said, we came in with no rules. I don't know how you police the culture if there are no rules or guidelines to follow because everyone is doing their own thing. Like, how do you say anything about it? Because there are no rules. That's a good wow. point. Wow. That's uh, to be on the record and say that. Yep. Wow. You have rookies sleeping in the bullpen during the game. You have guys missing meetings. You have guys missing PFP. And there are no consequences for any of this stuff. And then uh, obviously the writers went to other players and former players and they said, yeah, that was the case. Uh, that is Dan. That is Brooke. I am Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, some NFL news and notes. And at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to new Cardinal reliever. Uh, Andrew Kittredge. He's coming up later in the show on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Now that all the NFL head coaching vacancies have been filled, teams are starting to fill out their staffs. And one of the more interesting rumors and it seems like more than a rumor here is that Dan Quinn, the new head coach of the Washington Commanders, named as the head coach yesterday, is interested in and getting mutual interest from UCLA head coach Chip Kelly to be the offensive coordinator of the Commanders. If Chip Kelly leaves UCLA and leaves the Big Ten, where he's had a level of success to be a coordinator in the NFL, that will tell us all we need to know about college, co coaching college football these days. That's exactly what it will tell you. It will tell you that things are very concerning and that there needs to be some sort of change. This is coming because of the transfer portal, NIL, NCAA, as we were discussing earlier, just really kind of breathing down the necks of these universities as they're all trying to figure out how to navigate it. And then with the retiring of Nick Saban, too, this is a very big change in college football. I don't blame, honestly, the college football coaches for wanting to go to the NFL. Other offensive coordinator news, the passing game coordinator for the Jaguars, Nick Holes, to be the new offensive coordinator of Brooks Tennessee Titans. Yay! 
There we go. Excited? I, I did not see that news yet, so I'm very excited. I was more excited about the reports that Bill Callahan is going to be going to the Titans to join his son. He's been around. Yeah, he's, he actually was the head coach of a Super Bowl team that lost, but was the head coach of a Super Bowl team. Were you guys surprised Ben Johnson didn't get the gig with Washington? Oh, Apparently yes. they were on the way there, and then all of a sudden they say, nope, he doesn't want it. He wants to stay where he's at. I guess you could look at it. If he stays, he's got a a really good QB. I don't know if it's a franchise QB, mm-hmm. however you want to define that. But you sit there and, and you say, I've got probably a top four to five offense coming back. I compete in the NFC. We talked about the QBs before. If I'm Ben Johnson, I'm back in the loop again next year. Now, Mike mm-hmm. Vrabel is probably back in the loop. Maybe Bill Belichick, but he's so young, he's going to have a shot. Is Kimberly this, Kimberly oh, Martin this morning on Unsportsmanlike said that teams were concerned when they interviewed Ben Johnson that he didn't really have a plan for a staff for who he, he was going to bring in as his coordinators and position coaches. That's a big part of what you need to do is putting yes. together a staff. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the second time that Ben Johnson has done this, correct? Mm, two years in a row. So if he does do this again next season, I would assume that you would have to actually do it at this point because why would you continue to interview for head coaching jobs but if you're Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick and you know that Ben Johnson and some other coordinators are going to be going through that again next season, what are their chances of actually getting back into the NFL as a head coach? Yeah, well, those guys will, at some point, I don't know about Belichick, but Vrabel will get another opportunity. Bel- Belichick is, the season after this one, he's going to be 73. Do you really start a rebuild? Because generally teams that hire new coaches are not good. So do you try to start winning with a rebuild with a 73-year-old head coach? I don't know. So uh, I'm sure that there will be competition. And with what we just talked about with college, you have to believe that there's going to be good college coaches that are going to be yeah. after NFL jobs too, right? So there's going to be a lot of competition. And maybe some team people are waiting for teams to have an opening next season. But what are the openings going to be, you think? Jets. Jets. Will be one. Okay. How about the dysfunction with the Jets? Did you guys read that yes. article? Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, that is interesting to me that uh, it's gone that far. So they put all their eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket, but Robert Sala apparently was taking the cell phones of his staff to mm-hmm. make sure there weren't leaks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it's a bad situation. Really bad situation. This is the NFL, man. That's the sort of lack of leadership that will cause a coach to get fired. So... He goes into next season on the hot seat. I would think that uh, next year Sean McDermott would be on the hot seat. Cowboys. Yeah, d- that's definitely the hot seat. I wonder if there's another non-playoff season in Jacksonville. They haven't been the most patient organization, so does Doug Peterson uh, feel so- some heat next year? Uh, Todd Bowles definitely will feel heat mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay next year. I'm kind of surprised that Dennis Allen is back this year. In New Orleans, so there's another one. So there might be another half dozen jobs open next year for these guys. I could definitely see the Jets being an opening for next season because, as you were talking about, Dan, it is just an absolute mess. And then you saw the report coming out, too, that Nathaniel Hackett will return as their offensive coordinator, but they are also kind of reducing his role. What is more embarrassing than that coming out publicly, that they're going to be reducing his role? What's the point of having him there? Sounds to me like a guy who's being protected by the quarterback. Do you mm-hmm. think uh, you'd have a situation where Mike Vrabel, Bill Belichick, 
and Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels. Uh, I'm trying to think. Get the uh, band back together. Well, what about? I'm just talking about guys that are on the outside looking in mm-hmm. right now. Pete Carroll, mm-hmm. another one. It's a changing of the guard right now in the National Football League. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to stay with young and cheap. I think owners like not paying their head coaches a lot of money. One other note today, by the way, Cliff Kingsbury expected to be named the offensive coordinator under Antonio Pierce with the Raiders. By the way, of the eight head coaches, the hires this year, only three from an offensive background. That's amazing. So wow. that's something to think yeah. about, too. In an offensive league. And the, what they're doing is they're looking at the Super Bowl teams and the teams that played in the Final exactly. Four. Uh, it's a copycat league, and they're looking at the idea of having guys that will build a great defense. Offense sells tickets. Kids, uh, defense, defense wins championships. That's our NFL news and notes coming up. New Cardinal reliever Andrew Kittredge joins us here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And Dan McLaughlin, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And now joining us on the Celebrity Line is new Cardinal reliever Andrew Kittredge. He was acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays about a month ago. And it's great to have Andrew on the air here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for getting up early to join us. We know you're in Seattle. And before we get to the baseball thing, i got to ask you, how bummed out are you as a UW guy about Kalen DeBoer leaving to go to Alabama? Uh, I'm bummed. You know, it's definitely one of those things where I kind of I kind of get it, though, uh, looking at Alabama as kind of the, the pinnacle of that college coaching. It's uh, kind of hard to blame him for taking it, but... Definitely disappointed to see him go, but I'm, I'm excited about the the new guy we got. So, Andrew, just walk us through when you found out that you were coming to the Cardinals organization. What was the feeling like, and what was your reaction? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. The first 48 hours or so, it was just kind of processing it. You know, it's a, it always kind of uh, you never really. I mean, I I knew it was possible this off season, but I, you never really expected and. And so it kind of took it just a minute to to kind of uh, really understand what was going on. But after that, it was it's excitement. You know, I I think I've been fortunate to get traded to an organization with such good history and a strong fan base. I mean, everything everyone just talks about the fan base and how it's such a, a great atmosphere to play in at Bush Stadium. And, and um, you know, I'm just really looking forward to it at this point. Andrew, you had Tommy John in 2022. How do you feel that your body and, and arm has responded to that? It takes a while sometimes, so how do you feel coming into this season? I feel really good. I, I feel as healthy as I've felt. I mean, I know that's probably due to to the surgery, but as healthy as i felt ever, really. And, uh, you know, I think getting into games at the end of last year was really important for me just to get back uh, kind of in that environment and, and feel that adrenaline kind of pumping through you and, um, you know, and, and test to myself that, that I was healthy and, and, and ready to get back at it. So now that I've had a, a kind of a normal off season under my belt, uh, I'm really excited to get back and, and use this kind of now healthy arm uh, for a full season. Yeah, how does that propel you? You mentioned at the end of last season, nine appearances, a 1.08 ERA. I was looking that one pitch was barreled up. So how does that propel you into your excitement going into spring training? Well, it's 
It, it feels good. You know, I'm, I'm excited, especially coming off, uh, you know, throwing the ball well down the stretch at the end there. Um, you know, I think anyway, you, you always want your last outing of the year to to not be something negative you got to think about all off season. So, uh, you know, I was happy with how I threw at the end of the year, and, and I think it's just um, – something really to build on heading into heading into this year but but now it'll be with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and I'm and I'm really excited about that. And Andrew, you had that magnificent year in 2021 with a 1.88 ERA and you threw in 57 games. When things are going well for Andrew Kittredge, what's it look like? Uh a lot of strikes and uh hopefully quick outs, you know. I I just like I like to keep it really simple. I I really just attack hitters. Um, you know, that's something that the Rays kind of instilled in me was just, you know, throw the ball over the plate, um, you know, just force force action, you know, trust your stuff. And, and it's, it, you know, it's a simple game that I think we sometimes try to make too complicated. And, and my approach, I, I know that I thrive when I'm, when I'm really keeping it simple. So uh, I just like to, to uh, throw strike one, throw strike two, and then, and then keep going after him. So, have you heard from anybody in the organization yet, a player or anybody like that, reach out to you? Um, no, but you know, we're I'm about to get down to Florida and and get to work. And um, you know, it's interesting. I I've been around for a little while now, and I I feel like I know somebody on every team in the league. And this just happened to be one that I I didn't really know anybody. You know, I know a lot of names. I there's a lot of there's a really good veteran presence and. Um, you know, a lot of really good players and, and a really good roster. Um, and I'm just excited to go down and, and get to work and get to know guys and, um, you know, build some relationships. What's it like to be traded? On one hand, you have a team that you're with and they trade you. But on the other hand, the, the team that gets you is saying, we love you. We want you here. So what's it like being traded? Um, it's definitely interesting. You know, uh, I, I hold no ill will or anything towards the Rays. I, I absolutely love my time there. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of, there's, there's certain times in your career and, and contract situation and different things where it kind of makes sense for a team to kind of move on or, or try to get something in return for you. And I think it was just kind of one of those timing things for me. So, you know, I don't have any, uh, ill will towards the Rays. I absolutely love my time there. Um, you know, that was the team that gave me an opportunity to pitch in the big league. So I'll forever be grateful for them and, and uh, the support that they gave me and the opportunities. But I'm also, you know, really excited, you know, just such a historic franchise with the Cardinals and, um, you know, a, a good situation. I, I, I do have to get a little bit used to the National League. I've I grew up a, a Mariners fan in the Northwest, and I've played in the American League my whole career. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's um, it's uh, just excitement, really, on my end. Who was your favorite Mariner growing up? Is this too obvious? Oh, it, it, I think it is. I think it is too obvious. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is is the reason that I I started to love baseball at a young age, and. Um, and uh, I'm forever grateful for that, too. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But, you know, that team that you grew up watching, and uh, you probably – do you remember Edgar Martinez playing? Oh, yeah. Okay, so oh, it was yeah. Martinez uh, and A-Rod and Randy Johnson, the big unit. I mean, you had so many good players to watch there for such a long time. Yeah, and then even, you know, Ichiro coming in a little bit later, but, uh, you know, breaking the hits record and, and 
you know, watching Felix Hernandez uh, do his thing for as long as he did and, and just be such an ace for the league. But, um, you know, unfortunately, the Mariners hadn't, hadn't really had a, a lot of success through, through all of that talent that they seem to have go through there. But it's really what made me love baseball and, and all those watching all those guys. That's those, that's my childhood memories. So that's uh that's that's awesome just to even have it brought up again. That's that's really cool. Hey, Andrew, what's it going to be like? And I'm sure you've thought about this because you go around and you, there are a select few franchises that draw 40,000 a game. And it's going to be a stark difference, I would think, when you know that when you get to the ballpark and when you get to your role in the game, that there's going to be that energy of 40,000 on hand. What's it going to be like for you? I think, I think it's going to be great. Uh, you know, I think, I think most players like to feed off that energy you know played in the american league east the last handful of years you know we go into places like boston and new york and um you know and and then the rest of the you know the schedule is kind of you know you'll end up in places where the the environment is great um and i just i think most players kind of feed off that to an extent you know it's 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 really easy to muster up adrenaline and excitement when when the the atmosphere in the stadium is loud and um, you know, that's, that's what makes it fun coming to the park and, and, and expecting to play just because, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, you got to be on your A game, you know, you got a lot of people in the stands watching. And, uh, I think that's, I think for me anyway, that's what makes it fun. You mentioned how you throw it over the plate sometimes, see what happens. And then you have the analytics of the game, which is probably a little bit of both. How do you ba- balance analytics with what you're trying to do on the mound? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting approach. I think you have to figure out, uh, in what areas can analytics make you as an individual better. Um, also while still using your eyes and your brain and and things that you know to be true. So for instance, like me, I mean, I think, you know, a sinker is a pitch that I developed a handful of years ago, 2019, I think was when I started throwing it, but, um, you know, just looking at some of the numbers on that and why it was it was a good pitch for me, that that really changed the trajectory of my career. Um, and then, but also, you know, still trusting that there are some simple things that that we know work, and um, you know, like throwing the ball over the plate. But I think analytics, you know, backs up a lot of that stuff too. Where you know they talk about your your probabilities if you throw, if you're ahead in the count so throw strike one and and uh you know so i like to focus on first pitch strikes and and uh my low walk rate and things like that because i think analytics kind of all plugs into to saying that those are good things to to do so like i said i just try to keep things simple um and there is, you know, some use of analytics involved in that, too. So, Andrew, there were uh, some really interesting comments made about your club that went to the World Series a few years ago because uh, we talked to Greg Amzinger from MLB Network every week on the show. He's a St. Louis guy. And he would always talk about how every single reliever out of the Rays bullpen had a different look. And you're, you're around the organization. So was that planned? So what Pete Fairbanks brings is different than what Andrew Kittredge brings or, or what C- Castillo brings. Was that noticeable? to you guys right away that hey we're, we're all kind of different down here um i it, it was noticeable to an extent i i don't know that it was maybe by design as much as it was a coincidence i mean i, I guess maybe that's a question for some of the higher ups with the rays i guess but i what i did know is that they they did a really good job of identifying what individuals did well um and then would just 
really, you know, kind of put them in that mode. Like, hey, we want you to do that specific thing. So, like, for instance, my first year up, I was, you know, my slider was my best pitch, and they just said, throw it more, throw it more. And I, I think I ended up throwing, you know, 75, 80% sliders that year um, just because they were saying, you know, this is your best pitch. This is what you do well. Um, do that. So, I think they really just instill confidence in guys and, and really try to to uh, maximize what it is that it, that the individual does well, and and then they try to get them to do that all the time. So, um, you know, I think a lot of times it looks a different ways. You know, you got Fairbanks who's throwing a hundred and cutting fastballs, and uh, you know Castillo who would throw a lot of sliders. You know, so it uh, it really just is there are definitely a lot of looks that you're getting down there in that bullpen, but um, a lot of it is they, they just, they find a way to, to identify talent and, and use it well. And by the way, Pete Fairbanks and Josh Fleming are both St. Louis guys. Have you texted with either of them? Oh yeah. I've definitely got some recommendations uh, uh, already from Pete. And uh, you know, it's funny cause um, I think one of them, uh, it was Pete's family was actually helping me, uh, find my housing there in St. Louis. So definitely been nice to, to have some people that I know that are from the area to, to get some recommendations and, and kind of get the layout. Cool. This isn't a knock against Tampa Bay, but they, they don't have the history clearly of the St. Louis Cardinals and on opening day, they're going to roll out red jackets. So those are Cardinal hall of famers. And then you have major league baseball hall of famers. Have you heard about what opening day is here in St. Louis? I, I haven't. It sounds like I'm in for a treat. Though. Oh, you're in for a treat. <laughs> yeah. You're going to enjoy it. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, everybody will say, don't miss this. It's it's really important. Hey, Andrew, one more thing from me. What, before the Cardinals got you, one of the things that I wanted the Cardinals to get was a veteran reliever who's been through a pennant race. Because when the Cardinals have gone to World Series, inevitably, there's a veteran guy down there that young relievers can bounce things off of. So if a a rookie Cardinal reliever comes to Andrew Kittredge and says, what are September and October like? How does it change? What do you tell them? Um, It's louder. It's way louder. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's crazy because you you play in these regular season games, you know, tight games late, and it's – you feel like this is kind of the pinnacle of what the sport's like as far as atmosphere and everything. And, and the playoffs is just everything multiplied by 10. But the one thing that I always try to remind guys of it's, it's the same game, you know, we're playing the same game we were playing on opening day. It's just, everything is a little bit amplified. So if you can, if you can kind of rein in your emotions and your adrenaline a little bit, I think it's going to serve you better. But a lot of times that's easier said than done because that playoff atmosphere is, is a little bit overwhelming at times. And you can see why uh, there's so much excitement, you know, and, and so much anything can happen in the playoffs kind of thing. So um, that's what I would say. I mean, it's just just be prepared for it to be louder. <laughs> <laughs> it, it'll be loud here. Andrew Kittredge, it is great to have you here in St. Louis. We appreciate your time. Looking forward to meeting you face-to-face and uh, have a great spring training and a great career here in St. Louis. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys, and uh, and happy Groundhog Day. <laughs> happy Groundhog Day. <laughs> Take care. That is Andrew Kittredge, new Cardinal reliever, with us on 101 ESPN. You know, the Cardinals, 29th in strikeout rate.
out of their bullpen, mm-hmm. and when they bring in this guy, he was 44% chase rate in 2022. League average was under 30. So you're going to get a guy that, if he's healthy, and by all accounts he is, this is the type of guy that they targeted and mm-hmm. wanted in their bullpen. So it makes a lot of sense. He is uh, and, and but a, a really good guy. I want to react to that last thing that he said. Coming up as we head down the stretch here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's louder. It's way louder. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy because you, you play in these regular season games, you know, tight games late, and it's um, you feel like this is kind of the pinnacle of what the sport's like as far as atmosphere and everything, and, and the playoffs is just everything multiplied by 10. But the one thing that I always try to remind guys of, it's, it's the same game, you know. We're playing the same game we were playing on opening day. It's just everything is a little bit amplified. So if you can if you can kind of rein in your emotions and your adrenaline a little bit, I think it's going to serve you better. But a lot of times that's easier said than done because that playoff atmosphere is, is a little bit overwhelming at times, and you can see why. That is new Cardinal reliever Andrew Kittredge joining us in our last segment here on 101 ESPN. And Danny Mac, you were around that 06 Cardinal team with all of those young relievers. But the one saving grace they had is that they had Jason Isringhausen, sure. right? To be able to kind of help them navigate what can be a really difficult and, as Andrew said, overwhelming situation late in the season and in the postseason. Yeah, they've got some veterans, though, coming with this team, and I think that's got to help, and he being one of those guys. And once he gets acclimated to St. Louis, as he said, after opening day, just becomes regular season. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's the grind of the season, getting through in and out, but when – and they're hoping that this is a good team – let's say from August, end of August to September, those games are amplified. So that's where you need that experience to come through. We'll have to follow up with him after opening day to see what his reaction is to mm-hmm. opening day at Bush Stadium. Because I'm sure he's going to go and watch some videos of it now. I would think that he'll hear plenty about it in spring training. Like yeah. his teammates will be sitting down there and say, especially as they get closer to opening day and you know, they're going to say, hey, you're, you're in for a treat, especially, no, again, no disrespect, but coming from Tampa Bay and wind up, uh, you know, getting to a great baseball town like St. Louis, it's just a different animal. It really is. You wonder what he can be. And like I said earlier, he would be my eighth inning guy. And I'm looking at his best season, 2021. But he has enough stuff and I think enough knowledge of situations I, I have no problem with him in any leverage situation. He saved games. He can he can get the twenty seventh out. He can pitch the eighth. He can he can give you multiple innings. He's a really, to me, important part of this bullpen. Huge. He's versatile. I mean, if if you're not having Gallegos pitch the eighth and giving him lower leverage situations, to your point, Randy, this experience. And I, I'm a big believer in this. I know some don't believe this. I think the final three outs are a different animal. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. And when there's pressure in the eighth, those are different than what you get in the fifth. They they just are. It's, I just think it's more pressurized as you go through a season. Uh, for me, I'm 100% in asking major league pitchers if the ninth inning, if the 27th out is different. 100% say yes. Now, there are some managers, some analytics people that say, no, it's not. Have you ever had a pitcher tell you, no, it's it's no different? No. Uh, <laughs> I did have one. Really? I, I had one from uh, a guy that was a great closer, uh, but a few years back, and he took the stance that those three outs are 
and we argued about it all mm-hmm. the time. Now, I didn't play. I wasn't on there in the mound, so he's got better experience than me. But that's the only one. Yeah, I'm 100%. That, that's the only one that ever said that to me. The, th- the final three outs are different. Game's on the line. You're the hero or the goat. Mm-hmm. If you give it up in the seventh, you're not. It, it's just not magnified as much. It's a different animal. Remember Mitchell Boggs? Yeah. Who was a, he, he was the best eighth inning guy, I think, 2013, 2014. history of the Cardinals. Yeah, he, he mm-hmm. was the best. For one season. Right. And then somebody got hurt or they left and he, they moved him to the closer, of the, I think, in 13, right? He went to the WBC and Joe Torre was the manager. And if you don't believe the WBC has an impact, it has an impact when these guys go away from uh, their teams in spring training. And he was not the same no. when he got back. But he was also the closer. Yep. And he was just never the same when they put him in that position where he had to close the game out. Andrew Kitchard coming in, one, I liked everything that he had to say and also that mentality that you're talking about that he will bring to this bullpen. He felt like we said that, that you need to add one more veteran arm to that starting rotation. He fits that to a T and he really seems to embrace some of that chaos. But then also his return to the mound, Danny, you asked them about this. His return to the mound towards the end of August last season after Tommy John surgery, for him to get back out there, I think that says a lot too. He's got to be chomping at the bit. Yeah. With uh, the fact that in nine appearances, not one pitch was barreled up. Mm-hmm. That means to him, I'm sure I'm back. Mm-hmm. I've come back from Tommy John. I'm fully healthy and now I'm ready to go. And he's going to get a clean slate here in St. Louis. If I'm a non closer, in Major League Baseball now, and my team, if I'm Andrew Kittredge, and the Cardinals come to me saying, hey, we'd like to sign you for two years, buy out a year of free agency, based on the way the market has gone this year in free agency for relievers that aren't closers, even for Josh Hader, I would sign it. Well, here's the thing that was interesting to me, was the percentage of sliders he's thrown. Now mm-hmm. I know why he had Tommy John. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm with you. If they would try to extend him, which we're getting ahead of the game, but I, I'm with you, Randy. I mean... Bullpen guys are still out there. They're not signing for huge amounts of money. The big names are, but... Nobody's getting more than a year. The middle run guy is... Not that he's getting left out. It's just you're not seeing multi-year deals. There's, Phil Maton should not be on the market on February 2nd. No. There's a few others that are yeah, in that really same boat. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a great balloon party coming up. T-Mac and Ajax, are they both here? Um, Marsh is in. Oh, Marsh, yeah. Marsh is in. Okay, so T Mac and, and Marsh is on a bachelor party right now. Oh, okay. His? No. Okay. No, no. I don't okay. know why I laughed I'm not when sure I said that. T-Mac no, he's, I'm pretty single. sure he's single. That I did not mean that um, in any way, Jackson. Oh, yeah, that he wouldn't mean like, <laughs> then, uh, that. sounded terrible. I'm not no. sure T Mac is here either. Okay. BK and Ferrario minus uh, Ferrario also coming up. And then later <laughs> in the day, we've got uh, the, the fast lane with. Jamie and B, uh, Jamie and Carrie For minus sure. Anthony. Oh, that's okay. right. Yeah, there's Anthony a lot of people. No, you're in Monday in the fast lane, aren't you? Potentially, not sure okay, yet. Could happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, we had a great time today with Bradford Bruns filling in for the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, Bradford. I appreciate it, gang, and I will be available for that full Pro Bowl recap on Sunday oh. afternoon. Hit oh. me up. Looking forward there to that. There we go. Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. Good. What's oh. your face? What's your face? <laughs> uh, what is that Dan. about, by the way? Uh, um, well, so, Dan, when we fired up the YouTube channel, there were some people who were upset because this monitor used to be, like, right in front of my camera, oh, and they okay. would be upset they couldn't see my face. Gotcha. And they wanted to see Randy's face. They wanted to see Carrie's no. face. Oh, no. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, Daniel. 
Yeah. We've enjoyed this. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, And thank you all for listening. Uh, Thanks to our our, uh, super fan, Nancy, who sent in the first watch breakfast today. It was fantastic. We appreciate that. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning or tomorrow morning, Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.